All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, here with Dwight Woods. Uh, been following your podcast a little bit, and just uh, you know, I had a guest that I, I think Zane we were talking about just a second ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been on your podcast a couple of times, and yep. uh, you know, we we're also talking about McFan, and I was, you know, I've had always had a fascination with uh, with JKD, and that being the martial art that your podcast is is really centered on. Right. Um, but just wanted to wanted to sit down with you and um i've been having people on the podcast just talking about training with mcfan like yeah. some of his guys because yeah. until recently i never got to train with him so okay yeah i i mean i haven't se- i haven't seen him in uh in forever but uh he's he's definitely somebody you know noteworthy and uh unfortunately for me i haven't been able to get a hold of him so he hasn't been on my show yet and i forget who it was i was talking with recently and uh, you know in my show uh every time that i remember i'll ask people well who 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 do you think i should try to get on the program and so um gosh who was i talking to i'd, I'd have to, to look it up but um my fan's name came up you know a couple times during that interview so I, I, but I already had him on uh, on my list because, you, you know, Brian, I find that um, a lot of people who are busy commenting about Jeet Kune Do today, 2021, on the internet, mm-hmm. they don't know anything. They, a lot of them don't know much of anything because to I, I think that to really to really be able to appreciate the intricacies or even the subtleties of Jeet Kune Do, it helps to be older. It helps to have been around in, I mean, nothing beats being around in the 70s, but um, but at least the 80s, at least the 1980s, um, simply because that was a incredible period of development in JKD, you see, um, for, for various reasons. But so when, when, when somebody comments now on my Facebook page or, or on something that I'm doing, if, uh, if I don't know who they are, I'll look them up and then I go, Oh, okay. So this guy has been around since, um, uh, 2017, (laughs) right. Um, that's a guy. I'll get. I, I, I'll, I'll pull a Joe Biden. I'll get in trouble for saying this, but that's a guy who should be asking more questions mm-hmm. and not giving his opinion that much. For sure. You see, because you got four years under your belt, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you know, even I first uh, started training in two thousand six, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in going on fifteen years now, and if kind of always had a fascination with JKD. Some of my, my first two coaches who I'm still trained with, they uh, trained with McFan and got uh, plugged in, trained with Chai and going to seminars of his and Tulsa and stuff. Yeah. But just kind of always had a fascination. And, and that was what was cool about training with McFan is because he was like, you guys got any questions at the end of like three hours? And I was asking like history questions. Because you know? that's your thing. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, that's I got 20 books over here on the shelf just about either Bruce Lee or JKD or, or, you know, this, that, and the other. 
yeah. uh, on the topic, Terry Tom's books and, um, but yeah. it, you know, it's, it, it's fascinating. I, I had been exposed and watching, um, in Asano tapes and getting into kind of some peripheral stuff, but I never knew until really somewhat recently how much division there was in, well, whatever you want to do a podcast episode on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, but I think that that division to which you're referring occurs because of the celebrity factor, because of the Bruce Lee celebrity factor. Right. Um, in media, it's always more. What, what's the best word? I, I think that when when media uh, people can. Can create some kind of division. Right. Some kind of altercation, some kind of controversy. They know that more eyes will be attracted to what it is that they're doing. So, you know, in the mo in the modern era, we now have a thing called uh, clickbait, right? People know that if they make a headline for a YouTube video that says um, Joe Lewis tries to teach Bruce Lee karate and then this happens, give that a month or so and that video is going to have 8 million views. Even though you just look at the the screenshot for the video and people like you and I will immediately know that it's not Joe Lewis. We will know that at the 1967 Long Beach Internationals, Bruce Lee did not attempt to teach Joe Lewis karate. We will recognize that the kid in the white dobak with the red stripe will know that's not a karate gi. It's a Tang Soo Do Gi, and we will know that it's not Joe Lewis, but we can't prevent that video from getting 8 million views, <laughs> even though we know it's completely bogus. But the, the, um, the title of the video is Boss, right? It's a good, it's a good headline, right? So, you know, so, it, so in some instances, you kind of have to, well, not that you admire them, but if you're like me, you wish that you had that same kind of skill in titling your videos to attract the clicks, but doing it with integrity. Man, that's that's big. I mean, it, yeah, I, uh, you know, and catchy, uh, catchy book titles even, too. I know, mm -hmm. Fewer books are coming out than ever. Um, I feel like uh, I have bought so many books over the years and it just kind of seems like now we're shifting uh, from books to videos. Oh yeah. Yeah. For, for, for sure. I mean, simply because that's the medium which has dominated for the past couple of decades, you know, ev everybody's got a video camera uh, right here, which, which brings me to another thing. So I don't know if you saw um, a few weeks ago, the title of my my uh, Wednesday podcast, the I Love Jeet Kune Do broadcast, was um, the Jeet Kune Do Generation Gap. And I named it thusly because of things like the stupid questions that I get on another platform about, well, how come there's no video of Bruce Lee in a real fight? 
Well, Bruce Lee died in 1973, long before this stuff came about and everybody was able to be the proverbial man on this, you know, a videographer on the street. But people just cannot think the Bruce Lee, the Bruce Lee thing, Brian, really messes up a lot of people because they, they're not able to have um, two, two, um, two streams of thought. They can't, they can't have that. So uh, people ask me all the time, um, well, what kind of career would Bruce Lee have had? And then they do a whole lot of projection onto Bruce Lee because it's like they, they're interested in something. So one of the things that comes up all the time is how Bruce Lee would definitely have trained in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I saw, I saw that recently from something other than your content. That, yeah. That does okay. Right. So now, now, so where's the evidence for that? There is no evidence for that. You see, because the two things chronologically are way too separate. Bruce Lee died in 1973. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu started to become a thing in 1993, 20 years later. So anybody who says, oh, yeah, Bruce Lee would definitely have checked out the Gracies. You can't base that on anything that you know about Bruce Lee. You see, so there's going to be a lot of supposition. And so when people start doing, as we call it in the islands, when people start doing their supposing, they suppose all kind of nonsense. Like I saw once where, you know, there is, it is known that Bruce Lee and, um, and uh, Jean LaBelle yep. did have an association. And Jean LaBelle is on video on the YouTube saying that Bruce came by for about a year. Now, that somehow has become that Bruce Lee trained for a year with Jean LaBelle. And Jean LaBelle probably promoted him to black belt because Bruce Lee was so talented. So it would take him a, a much shorter time than, any, than someone else to get to a black belt under Jean LaBelle. All this stuff, just projection, it's just because yeah, I would love it if Bruce Lee was a, a, a grappling black belt. So I'll say on Facebook, yeah, you know, if Bruce Lee had lived, he probably would have this, he probably would have that. And there's no, there's, there's no good reason to suppose any of it. It's, it's almost like people are trying to, they're trying to credentialize themselves and, and give themselves credibility by any kind of spurious association with Bruce Lee that they can come up with. And for a lot of people, the relationship between them and Bruce Lee is that they're fans of Bruce Lee. And that's about it. You know, they're fans of Bruce Lee. When I see somebody on Facebook say, oh yeah, you know, I, I would love to have trained with Dan and Asano. Let me make sure I understand this. Dan and Asano's seminar career started let's say in about 1980 so we're talking 41 years that the guy has been going around the world teaching seminars so unless you were born 
you know, in 19, in 2000 or something, right? I could understand why you haven't had a chance. But even then, I mean, but to, to, to make a statement like that, it's not something that I, that I can understand immediately. And maybe, maybe I'm not being reasonable towards it because not everybody's able to do as, as, as everyone else. But it just seems really strange to me that for 40 years, he's been traveling to teach and somebody says, I've never been able to train with him. You know, I might be being unreasonable, but I don't think I am. No, no. I mean, you know, it's, I think uh, people choose other things. Uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be interested in MMA or something or jiu-jitsu, but, ha you know, oh, I could go to the Inasano seminar or uh, compete in a jiu-jitsu tournament. I have been guilty of that mm -hmm. myself, you know. Uh, and, too, you know, I'm just now, I feel like, as, a, as an academy owner and, like, where I'm at in my adult life that I've, I'm really to a place the last uh, few years where I can kind of fly out and train with people I want to train with and mm -hmm. attend more seminars that are outside of my region. Um, right. You, you know, because you're not a ton of, uh, man, I don't know if Inasano has ever even done a seminar in Arkansas, but he's done some in Oklahoma that I missed, a, a couple. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, Arkansas, I'll say no. Uh, but definitely Oklahoma. I mean, you know, in the JKD world, Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, through Terry Gibson, occupies um, a, a very, a very, uh, a top spot because Terry was one of the first of us to professionalize his approach to, to teaching martial art. You know, Terry was a pioneer in, uh, in simple things like curriculum design simple things like uh, ranking structure. Terry pointed the way for several of us, including me. You know, I, 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 he, he, he was kind enough to share his curriculum uh, with, with me. And uh, so, you know, when we lost him, we, we lost, uh, we lost a, a pioneer in the professionalization of Jeet Kune Do. So he's somebody that, you know, I, I'll always be grateful to him. What, what year did he pass away? Oh, gosh, uh, now, now you're gonna, I can't, I can't, I can't, I, it, it was, um, what was in the 90s? Was it in the 90s? Or I'm pretty sure it was in the 90s, though. Let me, let me just look it up. Yeah, see if you see if you can find it. Um, a date uh, yeah. yeah but uh, had a brain tumor Man, yeah uh, a guy that um, was one of my you know one of my, my coach uh, mm -hmm. Danny Dring is his name he came up under Joe Lewis and Bill Wallace in jiu-jitsu background and stuff too so you're talking he and I've done a whole podcast about both those guys mm -hmm. but um, you know he's he remembers um, and may have even trained with Terry Gibson I'm not sure but uh, it, it, it like you said even me being peripheral uh, to some of this, ne never really training in JKD until really somewhat recently, other than just being exposed to it and always having a personal interest. 
Yeah. Um, he was always a name that came up with the, the greatest reverence. And a guy that we know that was in Arkansas named Sean King, uh, I believe he would go out and train with Terry Gibson. I believe that's where I first heard the name. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have been trying to get Rodney Hitchcock on my show for, um, for a little while now. Um, so I've made, I've made some, I've made some headway because Jeremy Gordon has been on, uh, Zane, I think Zane's been on twice. Yeah. Um, Bob Landers has been on twice, uh, already. So Rodney's the only one that I'm missing, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. But we, we actually do talk, uh, back and forth, you know, on, on Facebook, we have, we, we've spoken, but, um, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't accepted my invitation yet, so it's okay. I'll, I'll keep working on him. Man, I have, uh, I was talking to Zane about this, just a ton of respect for Rodney. I've seen him a ton over the years, been around him, had been, he came to a camp, uh, just a training camp we were at one year. It's the first time I met him. That would have been 2010, but man, just, uh, such a such a cordial guy towards me and i just have a lot of respect for him he he would yeah. reach out to me about getting students plugged in at my gym right through through like his uh, i guess he works for probation like a probationary uh, pro mm -hmm. juvenile type role uh but man just awesome and i was like telling zane the other day i'm like man i want to i'm going to train with zane here in a couple weeks uh, but yeah. i would love to uh i was like you think rodney would come do a podcast and sit down and then do a private lesson or something but I, Man, uh, if, if be he, awesome yeah oh yeah for sure you, you know so so you mentioned um that you weren't aware of the division that there was so much division in the jkd and we we didn't we didn't finish um yeah yeah, yeah. Let's get back we didn't finish that conversation see so so listen to this. so zane rodney jeremy bob landers are all let's let's say for 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 lack of a different expression they are ted wong lineage i am not ted wong lineage but three out of those four guys have appeared on my show you see because i am not a representative of any division in jkd because i don't believe that it exists okay you see and so I don't just want, I don't want to be somebody who says certain things and then his actions do not follow what he said. Mm -hmm. So I said, I've always said, I don't believe in this so-called JKD division. It doesn't come from anyone who is deeply involved in JKD. People who are deeply involved in JKD do not look at it in terms of division. And so I wanted to illustrate that by making sure people understand that on my podcast, everybody's welcome. Yeah. You see, if you've got something intelligent to say about Jeet Kune Do, I don't care what your background is. You know, so there are people from who've trained under Richard Bustillo. They've been on the program with me. There are people who've trained under uh, Taki Kimura. There are people who have trained under Jerry Poteet. There are people who have trained under Ted Wong, right? I'll talk to anyone who has something intelligent to say. That's the main thing for me. 
right? You know, if somebody, if, if it's somebody who can, their their only contribution to JKD is gossip, uh, no, you go somewhere else, right? But if you've got an intelligent point of view um, for uh, about JKD, then that's somebody I want to have a conversation with. You know, so, but personally, I do not think of JKD in terms of there's a division. Now, I know that there's the age old thing about original Jeet Kune Do and Jeet Kune Do concepts and what have you, right? Which is usually what the, the argument is about. But, uh, you know, at the end of, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was their, their first, but it might have been their second meeting of the Jeet Kune Do nucleus. McFan just told me about this. Yeah, okay, right? Yeah, so so um, Linda Lee wrote something that addressed the whole original versus Jeet Kune Do concepts. Uh, she wrote an, uh, an article, for I guess, for their magazine or something, and essentially said that the consensus of the members of the nucleus is that there is no separation. Now, if you think back to stories about Bruce Lee, so the story goes that they asked Bruce Lee, well, is your style hard style or soft style? And Bruce Lee said, it's not two. You see, because Bruce Lee himself was about the yin yang, was about the complementary halves of the complete whole. So... I use that approach to Jeet Kune Do. And um, sometimes I, I, I might find myself in a position where I kind of have to explain my approach, my, the way I look at it. And I always point out to people that I could talk to you about Jeet Kune Do concepts and Dan Inosano's um, reasons for doing that, but I'm not a spokesperson for Dan Inosano. I can just tell you from my years with him um, what I think about why things were done the way that they were done. And I can also tell people whether or not I agree with everything uh, that was done and if I agree with the way that it was done. Uh, but on, on the whole, I don't believe in Jeet Kune Do division. All right. Um, doesn't help. Doesn't move the conversation forward. And also, it gets in the way of, uh, it gets in the way of cohesiveness. You know, which is, which is probably why there's, there's not been, I, people have heard me say this before. This is how I'll illustrate it. You ask a thousand people at a, at a business conference, uh, have you ever heard of Jeet Kune Do? And maybe I'll make up a number, right? Let's say a hundred people will raise their hands and go, yeah. Then you ask them, then you tell them that the founder of Jeet Kune Do is a guy named Bruce Lee. And you go, well, how many of you have heard of Bruce Lee? And 999 hands will go up. You see? So that, um, that refers back to what we were talking about, the celebrity factor. 
see the celebrity factor is one of the thing is one of the most uh inurious things in the whole jkd world because since everybody loves talking about celebrities right since celebrities on the pyramid of influence celebrities occupy a top spot on the 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 pyramid of influence so everybody thinks that and then the internet allows everybody to give up their opinion you know you you i mean there's no there's very there's very few restrictions or limitations for people being able to to give their opinion about bruce lee and and g kundo and just goes back to what we were saying earlier some of them know what they're talking about and some of them don't um in a recent conversation with my favorite canadian jkd senior we were remarking on how daniel lee for example daniel lee didn't really teach under the name jeet kundo daniel lee taught tai chi because there was a time in jkd history where you didn't talk about it you know the approach was if you got to talk about jeet kundo you don't really understand it right there was a time where we used to say to people it's easier for me to tell you what jeet kundo is not than to tell you what it is you see because you can make a lot of comparisons and contrast between the jkd approach and the traditional martial art approach so we would do that and we would say so here's why it's easier for me to tell you what jeet kundo is not um that doesn't work as well i would say it, it, over the over the past close to 40 years simply because technology has changed um technology has given people access that you didn't have before so for example so two examples you and i were just trying to determine when um terry gibson passed away you're able to instantly access information that can point you in that direction right um 38 years ago to be able to watch the pierre berton uh, berton uh interview of bruce lee to be able to watch video clips of the 64 and the 67 uh long beach internationals you had to be kind of an insider today anybody can 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 pull those up yeah it, it's amazing that um to think about that and that like what has survived and made it on to digital platforms i mean because it was uh, i think we talked about this before we went live but when i was uh at mcfans he just had boxes and boxes of these vhs tapes yeah right i remember the first time i don't know if you're familiar with the documentary choke with hicks and gracie uh -huh. but but the first time i saw that was in 2007 on a vcr uh mm -hmm. and it was like old i mean it was one of my buddies and coaches and he was like we gotta watch this yeah but that stuff that's like either got converted over or, or to think about like have we really lost like a bunch of key footage was it preserved um 
particularly like I'm uh, on uh, Chai Sear Suits uh, website. Yeah. And they've got instructionals going way back to, I want to say he even has one from, it has one from 89, but he has one on there where he's way younger. And I was like, I wonder what medium they recorded it on, how they preserved it uh, without lessening the quality of it. You know, it's just you're interesting. Ta you're, you're talking about the 1982 series, I believe. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think that's what you're talking about. Which, um, I, I have the VHS of that, right? Um, I even have the VHS of, so they did that series, which was pure Muay Thai, and then they did a, a, a kind of a, 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 a com hybrid uh, Muay Thai and Kali tape as well. Right. So, and I, th I, I think I have that one on, um, on video too. On, on one of them, Inasano is voiceover narrating. Mm -hmm. Chai. Yeah, that is, that's the, um, I think that's Walt Missingham's Australia, uh, video. Because it, cause I think you're talking about the one with, with the, the, the red, the red flooring and the Kung Fu weapons in the background or something. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that, I think that's Walt Missingham's uh, Australia videos, which are which are from which are from the nineteen eighties. Yeah, Larry Hartzell appears in um, in in one of those. Uh, there's a, there's also a, a, an infamous um, photo display of that where where in in the video, uh, Sifu Dan is talking about about um, a kick entry. And he's and he's talking about entering with uh, with savat, you know, and then following up with 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 a jab from boxing, and then following up with a trap from Wing Chun, and then following up with uh, an arm lock or shoulder lock from Jiu Jitsu, and um, and he says introducing the Jeet Kune Do blend, right? And so people have latched on to that, um, kind of a way to say that um dan and asano has moved away from pure jeet kundo and he's added styles to jeet kundo he's added the style of savat and he's added the style of of wing chun or or, or whatever <clears throat> and i've tried to explain to people that no what he was doing was showing that you could kick and enter punch follow-up trap follow-up and grapple finish right now if you think about it larry hartzell's jeet kundo book which probably uh came out around the same time that this video was shot um volume one of larry hartzell's book is enter to trap to grapple i have that one yeah right so here's what people don't understand if larry hartzell's book enter to trap to grapple just came out and Dan and Asano is shooting a video around the same time. It's possible that in that video, he decides, you know what? Let me give a plug. Um, and since Larry was in, I'm pretty sure Larry uh, was in Australia with them at the same time. So it's possible that all of this is what's going on in, in Asano's mind. So he decides, okay, well, you know, since entering to trap into grappling, is a thing that we've been discussing or focusing on at this time. 
I'm shooting a video, I'll show. Enter into trap, excuse me, enter into trap into grappling. And so he puts that on video. Years later, somebody says, oh, well, here's evidence that Dan Asano was moving away from the pure Jeet Kune Do and mixing styles and, and calling it Jeet Kune Do, the Jeet Kune Do blend. When it's not that at all, it's an isolated incident. All right, it's, it's an idea being put on video. It's not instructional. It's not Dan and Asano teaching that Savat is now used for kicking in Jeet Kune Do. That Jiu-Jitsu is now used for grappling in Jeet Kune Do. It's not an instructional videotape. Now, can somebody watch the video and let's say you're somebody who practices at home with a couple people. Can you get something from the video to practice? Yes. Let's say you're somebody who teaches, who has his or her own place. Can you get something from the video? Yes. But that doesn't make the video an instructional video where Dan and Asano is teaching step by step. Here's how Jeet Kune Do is performed. No way. No way. The, if, if you compare what's in that video to what's on something like the definitive series. Oh, I've got that one. Yeah. Okay. If, so, so, so listen to what he's saying and, and, and watch what he's doing. And in the definitive series, uh, unless I, I forget, there's no mention of, well, here's Savat and here's Wing Chun and here's this and whatever. It's just pure Probably the only, the only, when he labels anything, he talks about Jun Fan kickboxing. Mm -hmm. that's, and that's probably it. I think, one, right? one in, I think volume one and two is Jun Fan kickboxing and Jun Fan trapping, and he even gives the year range yeah. that he learned it. Yeah, right. See, so, because, so now this is in Asano on a, a, on a different track in that particular video. You see? So... It's not, it, 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 it's, it's not correct, right? Or, or I, it's not just to take an isolated thing and you, and try to say, okay, this is the evidence of historical truth. So the historical truth is that Dan and Asano changed things, right? Not really, not, 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 not really. Um, any, anyhow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's um, that's a that's an interesting perspective. I mean, it is, yeah, I guess, uh, um, you know, division uh, versus petty arguments and debates, you know, because yeah, just, uh, you know, and one thing I've seen and pretext on anything that is I'm about to say, because I I have as many of this person's tapes and have watched so many hours and am inspired by. <clears throat> But just looking, just trying to look at things objectively because I, you know, I see the comments section on anything from your podcast to any research I've kind of done. Mm -hmm. But um, Paul Vunak, yeah, right? I really love his stuff. Um, yeah. There's a lot to love. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's there's one tape in particular which I love called Bruce Lee's Energy Drills, mm -hmm. which. Um, 
I, I don't know if any if if this is wrapped up in any of this discussion. I just kind of am curious, so maybe you can shed some light on it. So in that video, he shows um, a couple of variations of uh, I think Hubud, and mm -hmm. then um, the like lopsal with the roll, right? Mm -hmm. Switching sides, mm -hmm. and then he shows uh, chisau, yeah. and then he shows putting them all together. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I guess looking at some of the other stuff, because people have tried also with that definitive series, which I'm like, no, he really says that he got this stuff from the John Lacoste. Like, he says nothing about it being Jeet Kune Do. But my curiosity is, have have some of Inasano's students or, or you know, you mentioned uh, Bastillo, I've got to train with him, or Ted Wong. Have any of those people, do you think, created some confusion in selling videotapes or or synthesizing something like maybe a drill or something that, that Bruce Lee didn't do and then calling it Bruce Lee's drills on the tape. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have any, any perspective on, on that? Yeah. Um, and this, this is, this is an observation. This is a critique and not a crit criticism of Paul Vunak. Paul Vunak is my senior and I think that there's a lot in JKD. It, Paul is responsible for moving a lot of JKD forward. Okay. Now, did he did 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 he do it in the exact way that I would? No. Um, I think if there if there was a if there was a criticism of, of Paul, it would be that he seamlessly integrated Filipino stuff into the JKD. Seamlessly. And that it that you could you can view that as an extension of what is said in Sifu Dan's Jikundo Art and Philosophy book, where there's a there's a, a, a section where Richard Bustillo says that JKD really opened their eyes in Kali and vice versa. Kali really opened their eyes in, in Jeet Kune Do, right? Bruce Lee said what? Jeet Kune Do is boxing, Wing Chun, and fencing. The word escrima is a Spanish word that means fencing, right? Um, there's a thing called Panantukan, which is Filipino boxing. Yeah. Wing Chun can be considered a middle range to close quarter art that focuses on uh, trapping, on the immobilization of the opponent's limb. When you start doing combat drills in Filipino martial art, if that, let's say if we look at it <clears throat> using uh, Villabril Largusa terminology, there's the initial block, the safety factor, and the killing blow. The safety factor is known as the check. It's sometimes known as the check in hand. Trap in hand and check in hand can be used interchangeably. So Wing Chun is known for the Paksao, right? And Kali is known for Tabon or the check in hand. So then 
I have um, when I when I met Francis Fong and his um, assistant at the time, Lun Sin, in 1983, Lun Sin would talk about how the triangle was the most important thing in his life. And he was talking about the triangle from a Wing Chun perspective. Well, we all know that in Kali, the triangle is an important aspect as well. So without a doubt, there are similarities and maybe even commonalities between Kali and Wing Chun. See, Fudan used to explain it sometimes this way. He, he would say that Wing Chun seeks to occupy center line and force you to come around and then they'll, they'll um, attack you down center line. Whereas Kali opens up center line and invites you to come down the middle and then they will zone off and hit you from the outside angle back onto center line. So what does it do? It gives you options. You don't always have to be the guy that's occupying center line. You can be the guy that opens up center line, but both arts utilize the center line principle. Now, what did Bruce Lee say about the fight with Wong Jack Man? His stubborn adherence to a Wing Chun type of fighting is what prolonged the, the whole escapade. He could have finished things earlier if he had not stuck to the Wing Chun way. So the problem that people have is that they think that if you look at Filipino Kali, that from that, that what they don't understand is that we look at it from a JKD perspective. You see, they think that if we adopt Filipino Kali, we drop JKD principles like daily decrease versus daily increase. They think that if you train in Filipino Kali, you must be adding stuff onto your Jeet Kune Do, as opposed to understanding, no, what you're doing is that you're viewing the Filipino Kali through a JKD prism. So you're trying to extract from the Filipino Kali the aspects that fall in line with JKD principle. You see, so a JKD principle is longest weapon to closest target, which is why, again, in Sifu Dan's book, um, Bruce Lee ad libs, as he says, and Inasano calls out, well, that's Largomano. And Bruce Lee says, I don't know what you would call it, but this is how I would do it. So the idea of what Paul Vunat calls defanging the snake, the idea of using your longest weapon to the closest target. Because remember, in Filipino Kali, and again, Paul, I would say, is one of the primary influences for getting people to understand, because he probably has more than one tape on defanging the snake, right? So, so Bruce Lee's idea is, if you swing at me, I'll hit you with the weapon. I'll hit you in the hand. That's defanging the snake. So when Vunak shows that, he's showing it 
with a JKD mindset. You see? So now, if the idea is the destruction of the limb, well, if you know where to find it in the Tao Jeet Kune Do, Bruce Lee does talk about the idea of what he named rim shots. And rim shots are attacks to the opponent's limb. You see? Because before... Before Filipino Kali, now this is personal to me, before Filipino Kali, everything was block the limb and attack the body, the head or the body. It was not attack the limb that's coming at you. I learned that first and only in Filipino Kali. You see? So Vunak is excellent at displaying the idea of working your way um, up the limb into the head and body, not going straight to the head and body through things like destructions and what have you. So trapping and destructions. So for us, it's not a violation of JKD principles at all because we can find JKD guidelines, JKD principles that apply to the Kali methodology. The problem, however, is that Bruce Lee did not write extensively about Filipino Kali. So if Bruce didn't do it, can it be called Jeet Kune Do? He was doing the shit out of it near the dragon, man. Well, yes, but here's but here's what they'll say bruce lee had the kind of intellect where he didn't identify it as filipino kali bruce lee just had the kind of mind that could pick up stuff you know without having to go down the path of studying it like inasano did with 30-something different little Filipino guys, right? Bruce Lee could just, you know, kind of kind of like download it like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, right? W without having to have like a formal study of it or, or what have you, right? There, there are people who will say, yes, Bruce Lee did use double stick in, um, in Enter the Dragon, but he wasn't portraying Filipino Kali. He was just portraying double stick. Yeah, 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 right? See, so so one of my intellectual exercises is to answer questions as um, a detractor, right? As a detractor of uh, what Salem Asli calls JKD's associated disciplines. Right, you see, because you know, you know how they say in um, in in league in the legal practice, uh, I forget what the expression is, but sometimes when they're preparing for a case, they'll have one group of lawyers argue um, against what their point of view actually is, what their defense actually is, so that they have both sides of the argument covered. So I do that sometimes as an exercise to try to get closer to an understanding 
of the people who talk crap about Inasano. You see, because I believe that they are entitled to their opinion, right? Doesn't mean that I agree with their opinion, but I do try to understand why they have the opinion that they do. So See, that's a, exactly, I mean, my motivations are j just to gain an understanding uh, of the history of what JKD is. And that that's just an interesting fact that it does mean, I guess you could say it this way, it does seem to mean uh, different things to different people. Um, but there's a lot of uh, common threads, and I, I really had been... I didn't pick up on any of this narrative for a long time. And then my first thought was like, who would say something bad about Dan and Asano? Like, wow. Well, yeah, no, no, there, there, there are people, there are people who, who will, um, but see what you just said, different things to different people. If you read enough of John Little's writings, which, you know, are transcriptions, very often of Bruce Lee's notes, you'll see that Jeet Kune Do meant different things to Bruce Lee at different points in his life as well. Yeah. You see? So if Bruce Lee is the nadir of, of, of Jeet Kune Do, and if we can see, okay, so there was a time when he said, I'm having my own system drawn up, and it will be Wing Chun, boxing, and fencing. And then four years later, he says, you know, there is no set pattern that you can use to identify Jeet Kune Do. Jeet Kune Do utilizes all ways and is and, you know, encompasses all methods, but is, is not possessed of any specific method. This is the same guy four years later. He is now saying Jeet Kune Do is not possessed of any specific method, but he did say when he was younger, when he knew less even about himself, he said Wing Chun, boxing, and fencing. It's the same way that if Inasano said in a video at a particular time period, right, enter with a savat kick, then use a jab from boxing, then use a lopsau from Wing Chun, then use an arm lock from Jiu Jitsu. It's the same way at a particular point in time, Bruce Lee had the idea of Wing Chun boxing and fencing. Now, so people will, they'll, they'll grab on to that because that fulfills um, it, it, that uh, I'll use I'll use a, a, a colloquial term that fits their narrative. You see, it's like yeah, like a confirmation bias a bit, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what this also reminded me of too is like how people, you know, I've never really looked at it as a negative thing that when a politician changes their view or the way they vote on something one way. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, they got exposed to more information and they changed their mind and you guys are giving them shit about that? Like, you know, but I mean, that's, yeah. it's totally to be expected is you are exposed to more. I mean, 
I'm 34, and four years ago, I thought way different stuff about jujitsu and everything else I do. Right, right. And and I doubt that you would say you have it all worked out at age 34. You no. see? Okay. So Bruce Lee, unfortunately, passed away at age 32. So are we supposed to say, yeah, he had it all worked out because he was a phenomenon? No, no. He had a lot of stuff worked out. He was wise, I guess you could say, beyond his years. But this idea that at age 32, he knew everything he was ever going to know, every opinion that he had about anything was, was fixed and solidified and unchanging. I don't know that that's the smartest way to, um, to approach it. But, you know, what that requires is a letting go of Bruce Lee. You see, it requires a letting go of Bruce Lee as um, perhaps the ideal, which I don't think is necessary. You can consider Bruce Lee to be the ideal, but that doesn't mean that you can't keep your mind open towards other things. You know, so in another part of the internet, I get questions about, was Bruce Lee the greatest martial artist of all time? Well, I, look, I, I'm, so, I'm so not cool. You know, for years, I had no idea what the GOAT meant because I'm, I'm not of that generation. So I used to see this stuff about, was so-and-so the GOAT? And I'm like, what the hell is the GOAT, right? Until... Some of the kids in my group, in my training group, they explain what it was because left to my own designs, I'm not going to know. So the younger people tell me about it. So when people ask questions like, was Bruce Lee the greatest, mar the, the greatest fighter of all time? Was Bruce Lee the greatest martial artist of all time? I'm like, no. He was one of the greatest. But, yeah, right? But how do you see? Because greatest is the superlative version of the adjective. So that means that, so greatest, there can only, be, you know, if, you're, if you're, you're, you're trying to talk about absolute things when you say this guy was the greatest, well, that's ridiculous. Muhammad yeah. Ali, right? Muhammad Ali might've called himself the greatest and that's fine because he was great, but, there are other measuring sticks. There are other metrics by which you can gauge somebody else. So this idea that Bruce Lee is the one, like Neo in the Matrix, you have to be able to let go of that. It doesn't mean that Bruce Lee is not your number one. It doesn't mean that Bruce Lee is not of, of seminal influence to you, but you have to be you have to be adult about it and not be, you know, you can be a Bruce Lee fan, but don't be a Bruce Lee fanatic and don't be a Bruce Lee fanboy. You know, right? I mean, when, when somebody asks a question like, um, you know, could Bruce Lee's punches break the sound barrier? Grow up already. Hey, he had to register his hands as well. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. 
right? You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's that kind it's that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, again, for the third time or second time in this conversation, it's the celebrity factor, and unfortunately, celebrity um, attracts um, you know attracts all kinds of different people. Yeah, well, it's like, uh, have you ever been to a live UFC event? No. You're not missing out on a whole lot, okay? Unless you. Well, I know that. I had I had decent seats even, but a there was the and it's like this at even the local MMA shows, but there was right. the the drunk fans that are like screaming the stupidest stuff you've ever heard and don't know anything about anything we're talking about, and right. it's like I. Because of the celebrity factor, it's like those are the those are the people too. Even at some in the martial arts community that say things like, um, you know, Bruce Lee was a was a great actor. Like that's one I hear quite a bit mm-hmm. um, from from people that train. But just like you get people that only view him uh, as an actor, that like you know the room of people earlier that thousand people, hundred of them have heard of JKD, but more man, that's such a, a narrow swath of people i think would know what jkd was versus would know who bruce lee was that's a great metaphor um because it's uh i mean it does seem very privy to people that train right and then there's i would say there's still people that train that don't know what jkd is because they're a jujitsu or whatever yeah because because of a number of factors brian one like we talked about before there's never been um, well, certainly not a unified uh, Jeet Kune Do organization and definitely not a united Jeet Kune Do organization. So there's never really been an effort to, well, I shouldn't say that because there was the, the Jeet Kune Do nucleus. So there have been efforts made to move Jeet Kune Do forward, um, you know, and they've achieved varying levels of, su- of success. But see, the so this is how i look at it <clears throat> and it's a little bit it's a little bit convoluted but it does go back to being able to have two sets of ideas so younger people will say well bruce lee sucked because he never fought in the ring because their metric is based on post-1993 UFC 1 because in the UFC that's when martial art as a combat sport started to become a worldwide phenomenon so it now now martial art enters the sporting world up there at the level of boxing so how do we gauge boxers by their fight records? So how do we get, you, you see, in, 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 in athletics, that's how you gauge. How do we gauge Tom Brady? How do we gauge um, the, the, the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, by the number of wins, the number of rings, you know, Super Bowl rings or what have you. We don't have that for Bruce Lee. But so people thinking over the past 28 years since UFC won, they are not able to think 
before UFC and go, oh, wait, 20 years before the UFC, people measured a martial artist's reputation and ability in a different way. It was not based on your fight record. You see, because people knew each other by reputation, people trusted to a certain degree what was reported by other people about an individual. So there are people who reported that Bruce Lee was phenomenal. And that sufficed. People didn't question it. If Mike Stone said that Bruce Lee was a badass, we didn't question it because we believed that what Mike Stone was saying is true. It's a different metric for today. So Bruce Lee has no fight record. The only video we have of him is doing demonstration sparring at the 67 um, Long Beach Internationals. So that's not a real match. So what can we tell from that? So since I can't think about an issue from in, in two different ways, I can only stay on one path. I'll join the club that says Bruce Lee was a great actor, but that's all he was because he never competed. And I've learned since 1993 and UFC one that it's only people who have competed and have a good fight record that should be considered to be the GOAT. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, too, and he's not even the celebrity factor, but these same sort of get-you-nowhere arguments, I feel like, come up with Hicks and Gracie a lot, right? Like, oh, well, yeah, he's good, but when he was good, wasn't a good enough time in the history of MMA. That was before the, the before they, they were good. That's yeah. when he was. And yeah. I'm like, the dude beat, like, fought an eight-man tournament in one night. Like, was getting his eyes clawed out in, in no holds barred. Like, looks like cockfights going, like, crowds, money, people. Yeah. Ah, yeah. That Zulu fight, if you've, it's, there's a clip of it on uh, Choke. But it's like, the guy's trying to claw his eyes out when he's mm -hmm. choking him at the end. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, I guess, you know, the referees and all that stuff make it so much more legit. I, I, I think I heard Matt Thornton say that um, at a workshop or seminar or something, Hicks and Gracie submitted everybody using just his legs. All right. I, he, I, I've trained with him twice, and I've trained with uh, one of my really good friends has, has trained with him privately a ton in seminars. Mm. And it's the, like the most profound, like, I can't even quantify how valuable of an experience it was right. to, yeah. to just learn to, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, see, so that that you're describing about Hicks and Gracie is what happened years ago with many people with Dan and Asano, for example. It happened with many people with Richard Bustillo, with Jerry Poteet, with Ted Wong, you know, even even um, more recently with Bob Bremer and Tim Tackett and those guys. 
right? There have always been JKD people to whom people gravitated because their message, let's call it, um, resonated with those individuals. And again, we have to be adult about these things. Not everybody is going to like everything in the same way or even like the same things. So why do we have to have th these stupid questions about could Bruce Lee beat Hicks and Gracie? I mean, what, it's in a gunfight? It's not even a productive thought exercise. Exactly, exactly. You know, because the hypotheticals, I mean, the what ifs are innumerable. Because you can always come up and believe me, there are people on the internet who do come up with stuff because it'd be like, can Bruce Lee beat Hicks and Gracie if Bruce Lee had one hand tied behind his back? These you are know. the rule sets, okay? <laughs> right? I mean, there, all of this stuff exists. I, I, I hate to tell you, all that stuff exists on the internet. Um, I, I stay away from as much of it as I can and just focus on, you know, what, 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 what we do on the I Love Jeet Kune Do page, which, which is, is funny because what a lot of people uh, might not be aware of is that that's not my page. I didn't create that page. I got, I came to that page, gosh, maybe as much as two years after it had first been put up, right? Um, and, you know, it, it was through my association with those guys that um, that the podcast started. So that's why I am identified with the I Love Jeet Kune Do page, but it's not it's not my page uh, per se. It's it's not something that that um, that I created or whatever. No, I, I you know, I, I, I've said this to people before that I spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I don't really know that much about Facebook. It's only in the past um, five years or so that uh, it's only in the past five years or so, Brian, that people have found out that I have a mobile phone because prior to that, people had two phone numbers for me. One was my academy general phone number. And then the second one was my academy phone number that rang in my office. Right. But landline. You know, <laughs> it was, a, it wasn't just the landline. It was also the fax number. Yeah, I, I couldn't even fax something the uh, the other day. I ended up doing it on my digital device. I was yeah. like, the college I work with, I was like, hey guys, I need to fax something. To I, I don't even know. I don't even remember what it was for now. Uh, and they're like, we don't have a fax anymore. And I was like, really? Oh yeah. my doctor, I had to fax something into my doctor. I get insurance for labs, shoulder therapy. I was yeah, and um, that that was the only mode the doctor would accept anything. They're like. We can't have any personal information except this. Wow. And I was like, luckily they have an app for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, right. Um, I guess I'm a, I'm a proverbial late adopter, you know, like I'll, like I went kicking and screaming, kicking and screaming uh, online. I used to spend six minutes a week on Facebook, just putting a link to my blog. And that was it. Uh, you know, in the early days of Facebook, 
people used to say, well, you're not on Facebook because I can't find you. And I knew I was on there, but uh, apparently I had these really restrictive settings. So, you know, no, nobody could see. But it, it's just because it wasn't really a thing that, that I'm interested in. I, I had dinner with a really good friend the other day, and he was telling me that, um, you know, that TikTok appears to be the way to go. Well, I, I don't resent him, but I resent hearing that, right? Because my okay. instinct, yeah, my instinct towards these things is to reject them. I, I've never been, I've never been a fan of mainstream, which is why I got into Jeet Kune Do versus anything else, because I've I've always been looking for something that is closer to the truth. And so, I, I mean, even COVID, I adopted COVID late. I waited until the bloody thing had been around for 18 months before I got, I got sick, right? <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I'm, I'm, it, it's just never been my thing to run in the same direction in which everybody else is running. Well, I thought, you know, I had a conversation uh, kind of along these lines with, with someone recently. You know, how many things can human beings, like, adopt in their lifetime? Like, we live in a time period uh, in the digital age where just in my lifetime, uh, I remember getting the Internet, Windows 95, dial-up, all of that when I was eight years old. Yeah. And then you you know you fast forward to well Facebook was coming out as I was graduating high school. The summer after I graduated high school we had the iPhone. Yeah. Right? And then from iPhones to you know sitting in my podcast studio where 2 years ago a video switcher was 3 grand and then I paid $300 for one. Yeah. Right? But it's like and then figuring out how to use it. <laughs> but, but it's just how many things can we even, you know, late adapt, early adapt, whatever, but how many things in a human lifetime, let's say we live 80 years, can we even adapt? Do we run out of space right. or ability to yeah. continue to add on? I mean, I feel the same <clears throat> frustrations you're talking about, and I'm what I believe what they would call an elder millennial or something like that. Um, mm. But, you know, I've seen a lot of changes, and then people are talking about this. Uh, John Adams' grandson wrote a book about this. He's like, this technological, uh, all this innovation and industrial, and this is middle 1800s. Like, this right. is this is not leading to a good place. It's very stressful. Yeah. And some valid points. I just kind of got onto that thesis a while back, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to think about. It. It's like, well, he was saying that in like the 1850s. Right. Well, see, to bring to bring that into JKD terms. This is why there are people who are opposed to Inasano and the so-called JKD concepts approach, because in their minds, concepts means adding styles to Jeet Kune Do. So like you were just asking, how many things can human beings adopt and really master? So people who think that Inasano's legacy is one of adding styles to Jeet Kune Do, that's why they will accuse him of moving away and or watering it down because they, they, they are thinking that it's piling on stuff onto Jeet Kune Do. 
they don't seem to be willing to um, understand or accept that it's not that. It is using Jeet Kune Do eyes to look at what else is out there. If you look at Dan and Asano's Absorb What Is Useful book, there are a lot of comparisons between the JKD approach versus traditional martial art. Now, that kind of illustration may have fallen out of favor because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu came along and dominated the airwaves. I mean, literally and figuratively, right? When you think about it, there's a there's a, a pay-per-view MMA event probably every weekend. So it's in your face on a constant and consistent basis. So the idea of JKD analysis is not something that's up there anymore. So you can use JKD to analyze Muay Thai. You can use JKD to analyze Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You can use JKD to analyze any art that you need to. And apparently it is verboten to adopt something from another art unless Bruce Lee wrote about it. If in Bruce Lee wrote in 32 years. Yeah, if Bruce Lee wrote about it, nobody would argue. You see? So if Bruce Lee had said, I'm having a system made up and it's gonna be Wing Chun, boxing, fencing, and Filipino Kali. Right? <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation because nobody would be questioning in Asano. So what they're questioning essentially seems to me to be this. How dare Dan and Asano go beyond Bruce Lee? Does he not realize that in finding Bruce Lee and being so fortunate as to have Bruce Lee pay attention to him and spend time with him, is he, does he not realize he need go no further? That seems to be their way of thinking about it. There's, there's one guy in particular who likes to quip every once in a while that Bruce Lee said about Dan and Asano that um, Dan's still searching. As if to imply, not Bruce Lee, this is not Bruce Lee's implication, this is the other person's implication, that Dan and Asano should have realized that his search was now over because he had met Bruce Lee. The one true savior. <laughs> right. We, you know, I mean, that is like, I mean, that's kind of a metaphor I've thought about. Like, for people who subscribe to that way of thinking, it is sort of like a, a messianic viewpoint. Like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, he's he's the mm -hmm. Messiah. And yeah. so, th what's interesting is the spectrum that, that we've kind of, the celebrity factor, the. Uh, where yeah. people fall on on a definitive spectrum of uh, interpreting some of these things. Yeah, but but all but these messiahs, right? How often did the messiah say that he was the messiah, or does it sometimes after he's gone, then people assign the role of messiah to him? 
right? And even if someone did refer to himself as the Messiah, did he not also tell people that the things that he has done, they will do greater things? You see? Yeah. So again, I think sometimes it depends on how deeply you've gone into the topic. See, because it's possible to have seen every Bruce Lee movie, to have every Bruce Lee book, to have every Bruce Lee, every video about Bruce Lee that there is. It's possible to possess all that stuff and still never have made a deep study of Bruce Lee and Jeet Kune Do. It's possible. You're merely an acquirer of Bruce Lee material, but it doesn't mean that you've gone deep. Because when you go deep, one of the things that happens is that you kind of come up with your own stuff. Now, you're guided by all your experiences. You're guided by your instructors, your coaches, your trainers, or whatever. But you kind of come up with your own, which is what Bruce Lee did. Yeah, I mean, that's martial arts isn't it. It's always been that it's like uh, I see this with my students. I have, you know, not all martial arts, but 350 members at my gym with yoga and some other things. But I say mm -hmm. this with teaching it's like, look, you're going to develop your own individuality. You know, I have a background in judo, and one thing I love about judo is they talk about and emphasize in, in uh, learning and demonstrating what they call the preferred game, mm -hmm. which might actually, you know, be something that is totally way far evolved from the original Kodokan, and you, you know, might not even see it allowed in sport, or it might be, it, this is all over the place, but it's the preferred game. Like, what grip right. and throw do you like? And show it to us. Yeah, and, and I, I like that because it encourages, I think, the individuality, which yeah. me being, you know, my wife is uh, under 150 pounds. I am around 200 pounds. And she like when it, she's a jiu-jitsu white belt as well. But the things that she does and experiences are, are different than mine. And it's based on her own individual. Actually, I love how um, attributes or something that's emphasized. Like my one of my coaches talks about that a lot. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, everybody has different attributes. Now, I'm gonna ask you a question. Yes, sir. Do you not think, right, which shows what my opinion is, that the word attributes appearing in martial art speak, in martial art vernacular, is because of Paul Vunat? I saw, I mean, I've seen all his tapes of attributes and I've wondered about that. I wondered also if it didn't come from like Joe Lewis or something, because he, he Joe Lewis talks about attribute development. Yeah. But, but, I, but here's the thing. Could he have got that from those circles of guys? Yeah. Right. See, I mean, what, what Paul has, what, seven tapes on attributes or something? <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm kidding. There, there's probably no way to know definitively, but I do know that for me, when it when there's talk about jkd attribute development for me a lot of that points back to vunak with with without a doubt so we were just talking about you know people putting their individual spin on things paul's individual spin again to me appears to have been the seamless blend of filipino kali with jkd and that became his thing and that's what he has 
promoted for decades now. Um, and it's not a departure from what Bustillo and Inosano were talking about in, in that book. It's not a departure from things that a lot of us were exposed to in the 19 in the 1980s but at no point did dan and asano say that kali is jeet Kundo. at no point he's never said that so when people start making their accusations and what have you um it's you know when you when you think about it bruce lee was exposed to other Kung Fu methods besides Wing Chun. If you look at old Seattle pictures, um, if you hear people talking about early days of training with Bruce Lee, it's obvious there was more to it than Wing Chun, that he, he was involved in other stuff. Doesn't mean that that Wing Chun was not his preferred method, right? I'm not I'm not saying that that it wasn't, but Bruce Lee was a product of cross training in other things. So, if one of his students embarks on a similar process, a similar journey of cross training to become educated in other things is that a drastic departure from what bruce lee did i don't see it that way you see so if bruce lee is able to say my system is wing chun boxing and fencing right and then he goes out and he teaches that system okay to people it must now be sacrilegious if somebody says, well, I've trained in Bruce Lee's product, JKD, which was boxing, fencing, and, um, and Wing Chun. But I've also trained in this other system that reminds me of stuff that Bruce Lee talked about or stuff that Bruce Lee and I discussed. So I know that Bruce Lee had an interest in it. So I have looked into this stuff because Bruce Lee is not around to look into it deeply himself. I'm still alive, so I'm gonna do it on his behalf. Well, you know, the Jeet Kune Do thought police, I like that. Like I, you know, I love joking about that, but I mean, it's it's that way in like, there's these same petty, yeah, in jujitsu. Come up in jujitsu about, of course. Uh, you know, I of course, they have to be white celebrity. They're on TV. You see, they're on TV. They have fans. They have detractors, right? So and that. So what are the magazines gonna do? Oh. Let's find a way to pit this against this because we'll sell more copies. It's as, it's as simple as that. As consumers, 
we have to be smart enough to realize that and ignore it to the, to, to, to the greatest extent that we can. Yeah, so no, that I mean, I've been a lot happier in my training since starting to think that way. Because I competed in jiu-jitsu for a long time. And when I stopped, and before I, I got into MMA, but then there's like this middle part of my training, I just was really focused on competing in jiu-jitsu. And yeah. I started thinking like a sport jiu-jitsu practitioner and subscribing to ways of doing things and philosophies that only a sport practitioner was subscribed to, running my gym that way. And in hindsight, not everybody was benefiting from that. My, all my students weren't benefiting from that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking in a, what I would say is like a closed off kind of way. And really when I started doing leg locks in the gi, I've had a way better time. You know? <laughs> but, but that's sacrilegious. You can't do leg locks in the gi if you train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because that's against the IBJJF rule set. Therefore, you will not do it. Wow. And like I've had, I, yeah, I know. Yeah. And like this is a, a period of years that I'm like, well, my coaches and, and these people, they say we don't do that, okay? Right. And then you base like running your gym and everything else off of what the Jiu-Jitsu Thought Police have to say about whatever the sport yeah, you know, you name it, but it's. Uh, but but see, he, he, but here, but here's the thing. At least there's an organization. You see, there's a central governing body. There, there, there's never been a central governing body in JKD. So that that's why the issue is is multiplied. The effect of the issue is multiplied in the JKD world, and every and everybody with an internet connection is weighing in on it you know so you 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 have to do what you can to stay above the fray and for a lot of people a lot of my colleagues um that means not being on facebook not <laughs> being involved i um ended up involved in it but Thank God, I think that people have realized that I'm not somebody with whom they can engage um, in, you know, in the, at a whim. It's like, oh, I'll send Dwight a message and start up a conversation with him. No, because I didn't give you permission to contact me. Right? So, you know, and, and anybody who knows me, would know you don't text me or i mean unless you're interested in training with me that's something different right so you'll find my phone numbers so yeah you reach out to me but to send me a a, a facebook message or or something unless i recognize who you are we've had some kind of interaction but for people to think that they can just um send me a question and and get into a conversation with me i have a life you know i'm i got things to do and um chatting with random people uh, on uh, please not at all not at all uh doesn't work there's only certain people who can call me um and 
not even with them, but more often than not, because they know when, when, what my schedule is. So there are certain people who can call me and I will drop what I'm doing and get on the phone with them. But that's because every conversation with them is like a mini seminar in Jeet Kune Do. You see? So, so it benefits me right? yeah. to drop yeah. what I'm doing and, and get on and get on the phone with, um, with, with them. Well, you know, just on some of this stuff just got me thinking, it's like kind of this chatter in the background. Was that one of the motivations for you to start your podcast to, to just kind of be your contribution to the conversation of like thinking objectively about these things and yeah, that, that, so, okay. So that's interesting. That's not the motivation behind starting the podcast but that is the motive but that did become the motivation behind continuing the podcast but that wasn't the motivation the the podcast started um incidentally if not accidentally um there's a paul Bunet quote <laughs> right um because Facebook Live had become a thing. And so Carlos says, hey, let's go live on Facebook and um, you know, I'll ask you some questions and we'll talk about stuff. And that happened. And then um, there was a guy uh, on the internet that did a thing on Bruce Lee and uh, he was not at all complimentary about Bruce Lee and so that's how I think our second live conversation, which was trying to, um, trying to, uh, I mean, we didn't really know what we were doing, but trying to, uh, what do you call it? Debunk what this guy had said about Bruce Lee. That's how the second thing came along and it just grew out of that. And then I, I you know, Uh, let me try to remember the first year that I might have done this. I probably became aware of the technology called uh, Bridgeline. Do you know what that is? No. Okay. So before the video version of what we're doing now, where um, StreamYard can, can, can put what? Um, about 10 people on the line on the video line at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Zoom can do hundreds of people, I guess. So the audio version of that was a thing called a teleseminar. And so the teleseminar was done by phone, not by video. I've been on one of those before. I just, okay. yeah, right. Yeah. So, so a bridge line was that's where everybody called into a particular um, phone number. And then you could you everybody would be on the phone at the same time. That's what a bridge line did. And I became I, I became aware and involved with that technology in about 2006. And at some point, I'd have to research it to see if I can find one. Of it. I thought when when I went on Facebook, at some point I put being on Facebook and that idea of the teleseminar together. Um, so you know what? It was probably, let me think, 70, 
Yeah, it might have been 2006 because uh, in 2006, uh, Sifudan turned 70. And that was when I produced um, uh, a book, kind of like a, a, a birthday book, right? So um, people have heard this story before. When I started doing, I started emailing uh, my JKD colleagues and asking them in time for Sifu Dan's 70th birthday in July to email me back with the story of how they uh, became influenced by him and how, you know, how they uh, started to train under him and eventually become certified by him. Uh, tell me your favorite Inasano uh, anecdote and then tell me what's the greatest influence that he has had on you. And so I was going to get emails from these people, print out each individual email, put it in an envelope and send it to him as a birthday read in present. As things happened, I started to think, nah, that would be kind of low class. So I started, I started building a book. So I'd take everybody's email and, you know, uh, copy and paste it and, and um, modify it and what have you. And then I thought, let me get back in touch with people who have sent the email and have them send a picture of themselves so that now everybody has a chapter in my book. And so I produced that for uh, Sifu Dan's 70th birthday in 2006. So it's very possible that the idea came up uh, a little while after that. And the idea was this. So you know how for everybody's birthday on Facebook, they'll type in happy birthday. What I decided was to do an online version of the birthday book. So we were going to do a teleseminar where people would call in. And I, I, think, I think I did it two years but it never really took off, right? Um, people seem to think that it's more effective, a more effective way of getting your happy birthday message to Dan and Asano is to write in the comments on the Dan and Asano fan club page on Facebook. I don't think it is. I think you should get on zoom with me and we i do a mini interview on those three things tell me the short story of how you came to be involved with dan and asano what's your favorite in asano story funny or not and what's the greatest influence that he's had on you i interview you it takes three minutes we go to the next guy right and we stay on there for like two hours or something and then i take that video and i send him the video which is something or the audio, which is something that he can consume rather than having to sit down and and read a scrolling comment comments on a Facebook page. There's Sifudan. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people should not express that sentiment. I'm just talking about effectiveness in getting to him. But, you know, I might be self being self-serving. <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's, I think, 
I came across some really old scrapbooks the other day that a, a friend of mine had bought at this estate sale of somebody that had traveled like all over the world, Egypt, uh, London, and had scrapped all this stuff together. And I mean, we're talking maybe as late, it, it, I believe it kind of tapered off around the early 70s. But I was thinking like, just see if the medium, like that was someone trying to do what you're talking about. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't have the technology or know a better way to do it. You know, so they made a scrapbook and, you know, right. some of the paper would have been glued, would come off and it just hadn't preserved well over time. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, the creator mindset, I think is like, yeah. how's the best way for the most people to interact or for this person to interact with? You, you, know, you know, what's interesting uh, about that is, so that type of stuff will elicit emotional responses in people, you know, seeing that stuff. And I read once that um, Hollywood is, that's what Hollywood is based on. Hollywood was able to create a product based on emotional response. So TV shows and movies, that elicit emotional responses from people. I'm just thinking about Bambi's mom dying right now for some reason. <laughs> right? So, so the work in theory is this, if you are able to create a product or a service that's based on emotional responses. So that's where, have you heard of legacy box? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. Here's what you do with legacy box. You take all those old VCRs and you pack them up and you send it to them and they'll transfer it to a thumb drive or a DVD for you. Because we know that celluloid tape will degrade over time. You see, mm -hmm. a DVD is forever, pretty much, you know, thumb drive forever, pretty much. So, so those people, the people at um, Ancestry.com have created a product and the service from emotional response. They have been able to take people finding out through DNA what their lineage is. They've been able to turn that into a product and a service. You see, uh, to a certain degree, um, Amazon has been able to not turn it into a product, but Amazon has been able to, um, to, uh, what's the best way to express it? You know, Amazon realized that people's attention span has shortened, right? Over, over, over time again, because of technology. And so they've been able to take advantage of that instant gratification, which is an emotional response. And they've been able to productize instant gravitation, instant gratification, because they'll get stuff to you the same day or the next day. You see, so they were, so they took an emotional response 
and turned it into a product or service. And that's, uh, that's one way to do it. <laughs> well, you know, that's, uh, things are evolving in that way. For example, my favorite band is widespread panic. Uh, and I've seen them in concert 30 times, which is not a lot for other widespread panic fans, but there are apps in which I can listen to every widespread panic show I've ever been to. Right. And I went to see this other artist I really enjoy, uh, Todd Snyder, recently. Yeah. And uh, they were like, hey, we got a thumb drive copy of the show for you if you want to buy it, 20 bucks. And there I'm like, go. genius. I mean, but that is, uh, that's packaging that, I mean, I can't tell you. I listened to the first two widespread panic shows I went to when I had some boxing fights and just driving back and forth the other day. And I was like, how cool that I get to yeah re-experience this you know right. it is it's an it's attached to this uh this response and i'm like it's something that you will pay for and etc so mm -hmm. uh, interesting mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna pat we're, we are definitely of um at least mute when it comes to music we're definitely of a different generation i've never even heard of widespread panic oh, but i'll go I'll look, them up. I'll, I'll 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 look them up right but I'm gonna pass that idea on to um, the the guys at my one of my favorite groups. Uh, Who's that? It's a, a a British group called uh, Level Forty Two. Okay. okay. But um, check them out. yeah, they 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 had um, one hit in the U.S. that made the top forty. They had one hit in the U.S. in 1986. Um, but in other parts of the world you say you announced that level 42 is going on tour and tickets sell out overnight right okay okay yeah. english yeah. jazz funk I'm already, <laughs> I'm already interested <laughs> yeah nice you know watch your paint they became a band and i think 86 so Okay. Most of them are in their fifties and, and even their bongo player is seventy years old. Wow. Yeah. And man, he can slap those skins. It's <laughs> but I just man, I I'd never heard of him either. I went and saw him in twenty fifteen. They've been around forever or since eighty six and I was mm -hmm. like, Who are these people? Yeah. They don't get radio play. They never had any gold albums, but I was reading the other day and like Oh, 98, they generated $14 million in tour revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so they would, they, even the fans wouldn't buy their studio shit, but they would sell out every show they would go play. Right. And do like 300 shows a year at some, some years, you know. Wow. Um, but two, I think, is just looking at the history, they did, their, their guitar player is amazing. Their original guitar player died of pancreatic cancer in 02. And I think that that was at the height. And now they still selling out shows and everything. But yeah. it, I think that is why a lot of people uh, that didn't maybe hear about them from 98 to 02 when they were at their Zenith played, they played an 80,000 person concert in wow. uh, 98. I know, right? That's like hearing yeah. some of the numbers Grateful Dead did. Right. Would... So, so, so you see how, again, because of technology, things for widespread panic have evolved, right? Now, maybe not so much when it comes to Jeet Kune Do, um, it, it, or the advancement 
in technology because there, there's always been the the visual element when it comes to Bruce Lee because he was a movie guy, right? So we've always so we're used to watching Bruce Lee. I think that evolution in when it comes to to Bruce Lee has to be evolution of thought, has to be evolution in approach to martial art training, not at all this idea that if Bruce, like we said before, if Bruce didn't do it, then it's not Jeet Kune Do. Jeet Kune Do can only be what Bruce did. Jeet Kune Do can only be what Bruce Lee taught. And if Jeet, and if Bruce Lee never mentioned Filipino martial arts to to another one of his students, then that means that Bruce Lee had no interest in Filipino martial arts. You you have no evidence of that. Yeah, I mean, you really yeah, you're right? assuming things. People assume yeah. assuming things that he thought. Putting putting oh Bruce Lee thought this. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it, where there's no evidence, and you know. Again, I was saying earlier, maybe some of that evidence has been lost. Like yeah. every everything got digitized from that era. <laughs> you know, sixty-four to seventy-three or something. Yeah. No, it. It. I. I. I really think that. It and again, this this is somewhat related to Inasano's book, but it is in it's the evolution of thinking. Right, because we're always. We're, we're, we're limited physically, but we're not limited mentally. You see, you're, you're, you're only going to be able to kick and punch and grapple to, to a particular level. Not that your level can't improve, but then age kicks in, injury kicks in. And so, you know, they the can't be there. But the thinking, there's no limitation on that. So using no way as way and having no limitation as, as limitation might not apply only physically. And I certainly don't think that anyone, anyone who says or, or believes that uh, to really study Jeet Kune Do, you don't study the physical and the philosophical, I, I think they're on the wrong track. Um, Bruce Lee didn't spend that, you know, Bruce Lee didn't spend so much time thinking about things and writing about things, even from a young age. I mean, even at age 18, Bruce Lee was deep into the philosophical aspects of, of martial art, right? And I think that that's something that stayed with him uh, throughout his life. So I, I think you know, I, I like the title of Sifu Dan's book, Jeet Kune Do, The Art and Philosophy of Bruce Lee. Not just Bruce Lee's Kung Fu, Bruce Lee's Karate, you know, not just the physical aspect, the philosophical aspect. And to, to me, that's where now the art of thinking, long and deep about martial art, about Jeet Kune Do, that's a thing that has to happen when you do that i don't think you're going to be on facebook talking a whole lot of nonsense about you know this aspect of jeet Kune Do, these people in jeet Kune Do versus these other people in jeet Kune Do. you're going to kind of realize no no that's not it that's not where it's at at all yeah yeah 
So one other thing I want to talk to you about, Dwight, is uh, this is something that's come up for me, a fascinating topic, uh, is that, you know, my original instructors I mentioned that kind of even, they, they had to have been the first two people I heard say the words Jeet Kune Do. I remember when they moved to a town about two and a half hours away, and Mike, one of my coaches, gave me the Dow and a, and a whole stack of books, right? And he... He is 45 now, but when he was in high school, the movie Dragon came out, right? And love it or hate it, at that time, it was uh, it made some somewhat of a splash or an impact, according to him and everybody else that was of that age that he knew, and it inspired all these guys. Uh, to go try to seek out people like Terry Gibson and to go, uh, do you know a, a JKD guy's an Insano guy and a Boonat guy originally, Danny Anderson, New York? Um, I, so, so the name Dan Anderson, um, the first person I think of is the, 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 the karate legend who also spent some time with Remy Prasas in modern Arnis. So that's probably not the same person. This, this, he's different. He trains, um, he's got a gym like right in New York City, uh, trains like me. Oh, Jokovic yeah. Some, well, some I'm guys. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. How could I not? Yeah. I'm sorry. Of course. I know. Yeah. I know that. So he's from the same town and from the same time and place that I'm talking about. I'm from, okay. the same t I'm from the same exact town as Danny Anderson originally in okay. Clarks Clarksville, Arkansas. Wow. Right? Uh, so, but he's of kind of this generation of these people that kind of saw this movie, and it is, according to accounts of these people, again, I was five years old when it came out, mm -hmm. it kind of, and Mike, he always likens back to, I'll never forget the first time I saw that movie because it made me go down the rabbit hole. Right. And, you know, what do you think about things like that? Yeah, there's Bruce Lee's celebrity and, and, and sort of, I guess you could say, his timelessness right but then yeah. there's also like that that timelessness making a movie about it and then that gets a generation of people interested uh that are uh, you know 20 years after the death of bruce lee yeah and the movie is not the i did as a history teacher i was like let's watch this movie that's based on a true story and call bullshit on it right you know let's think yeah. critically here like who's gonna are you gonna accept this as history because it's not in these ways. And, yeah. you know, but I think about that with that Dragon movie and then also with the most recent one about, like, with the, the made-up characters and it had the Wong Jack Man fight uh, depicted uh, in a oh, different way. What was uh, the yeah. name of that one? Um, birth, birth, birth of the Dragon. Yes. Yeah. Now, that one is super far out, right, in my opinion. But... You think there's a problem with people accepting that stuff as truth or history or, or it, it convoluting the mythos and that they have in their head? I well, okay. So in the old days, we would have said it's better than nothing, right? It's better that people in in this later generation are made aware of Bruce Lee's existence. So. It's good in that way. But then you have to be the bad guy and inform people 
that is crap. You see, and you run the risk of offending uh, offending the people who really enjoyed the movie. But it goes back to something that we were just talking about. People have to understand. Well, no, they don't have to, but they should go backwards and do their research. You see, so if I remember correctly, or maybe I thought about it but never did it, I said to my student, we, we went to watch the movie, uh, a, you know, a group of students and what have you. And then my, I, I probably never did it, but my intention was to have them then come back to me a couple of weeks later and report on all of the inaccuracies that they that they discovered or all of the instances of dramatic license that they took you see because there there are people out there who believe that bruce lee's back injury is a result of right i know yeah oh. you see there are people who who believe that and why because they saw it on tv right so it's like we make a joke about um you know it, it we, the people believe something because they saw it on the internet right so it's it's that kind of thing so it's it's that proverbial double-edged sword it's good that they make a movie about bruce lee but then you have to caution people that remember this is hollywood that we're dealing with Look at what happened to Quentin Tarantino. Oh yeah, yeah right. That's, that's a great example. Okay, look at what ha what what happened to him. Now, let me ask you this: Has there ever been a movie made where uh, a, a circumstance was assigned to a historical figure, but that circumstance itself was fictional? It was a real person but we are depicting an event that never happened. Has that ever been done in a movie before? Sadly, that happens all the time. Right? Of course. Of course it's been done. But there were people who wanted Tarantino banned from Hollywood because he dared, right, to depict Bruce Lee in unflattering uh, circumstances, you, you know, it, so it's, this happened, this happened just last week on Facebook. Um, there's a video posted of Bob Wall and Joe, and Joe Lewis, and they're looking at pictures of, uh, behind the scenes of Enter the Dragon. And so they look at one picture where Bruce Lee is throwing a front kick and in that um, screen in that shot, that snap, his his arms are down. And so you hear either Bob Wall or Joe Lewis saying, well, look at where his hands are. Some people on the internet immediately jumped on that as a criticism of Bruce Lee, that Bruce Lee threw a front kick and his hands were down. So how dare Bob Wall, who, and this is what one guy said, 
um, I'm, so I'm paraphrasing partially. How dare Bob Wall, who had a 30-year career because of Bruce Lee, remark on where Bruce Lee's hands are? And Joe Lewis himself, a nobody who is only known because of Bruce Lee. This is how seriously people took a little three seconds of a video, right? And so I said to the guy, I go, look, Bob Wall and Joe Lewis are free to say whatever it is that they want to say. Doesn't affect my opinion of Bruce Lee. So I don't have to take it personally and, and be, you know, all in a huff over it. It's the internet. Because they say it and you see it on the internet doesn't make it true, you know, that Bruce Lee, what, that, that are they implying that Bruce Lee didn't know how to kick or, and again, like we've talked about, you know, a, a lot over the past, the past hour, it's a snapshot of a moment. It's a frozen moment in time. Well, you just don't talk about martial arts Jesus that way, okay? <laughs> that's what, I mean, that's like we made the Messianic joke earlier, but it's, right. it, it is, I mean, you know, yeah. th there can be no negative said because yeah. it, I, that's an interesting perspective. That's well, and, But you know what? I, I, I can say that I'm a, I'm a little bit guilty of that because the first time I heard um, some negative stuff about Bruce Lee that could have been true. I was not happy, you know, not, not at all. I was, I was not happy. Um, cause you know, anybody who sees the backdrop, um, of, of my podcast, you know, it's the, the two real revolutionaries, Bruce Lee and Bob Marley. And so, you know, I cannot defend Bob Marley when it comes to marital fidelity. <laughs> you know, and so there was a time in my in my life where I I used to I actually used to tell people that um, until and unless I hear something about Bruce Lee, um, you know, in in that regard, he's the guy. And so I remember once one of my students said he he said to me he goes you know Sifu I've heard that this and this and I was like what right and so. I, I wasn't I wasn't um, I wasn't happy when he said that to me, right? Uh, um, so. But but here, here you are again. You you're like the politicians heard from earlier. <laughs> you you gained access to more information, and you you changed the way you thought about something. That's yeah. problematic. But it's not, man. I I, yeah, I sure. always um, I view that in a very favorable light, personally. I, yeah. I've been somebody that has changed. Uh, so many times from my 20s to my 30s right throughout my 20s but didn't bruce lee topic. didn't bruce lee say that jeet kundo is about constant growth so if bruce lee says jeet kundo is about constant growth right do, do you think then that he would want any of his students to say no nah, i just go up to what i got from bruce lee i don't go beyond that right it's like uh, th that's it for me. Some people will say, well, there's no growth then. But on the other hand, a person could say, no, in just what I got from Bruce Lee, there's enough there for me to grow, to continue to grow. So 
it goes but it so then it's this thing well who's right who's wrong you know they're both right they're both wrong and 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 that's the quandary in which we find ourselves the answers do not lie in the external the answers are inside of you it's your personal choices your decision to do things to view things um in your own way influenced by whatever i prefer to be influenced by a variety of sources dan inasano is my main influence but dan inasano is not my only influence you see but he's my main influence for sure right but you know the but the thing about inasano and again this is something people have heard me say before dan inasano would never say don't go train with this other guy inside and outside of jeet kundo he would never say that but i know that there are jkd people who frowned upon people going to inasano i know that for a fact but he would never treat them that way in return never it's not his, it's not his gig not his back you know yeah, when uh, when did you first get involved with Jeet Kune Do? How, uh, what year was it? Probably, um, you know, you're supposed to say that it was uh, the Green Hornet, right? But I think I was a bigger Batman fan than I was Green Hornet fan, yeah. right? Even though, even though I did appreciate what Cato did, uh, but I'd, I'd say the Big Boss was really my um, Big, the big boss was my my serious introduction to to Bruce Lee. Um, I was already a fan of the kung fu film genre. Um, I was already watching movies and making notes and going to my backyard and trying to practice the kung fu moves that I had seen, um, you know, on on screen. And the first the first fight scene in big boss changed my life i didn't think but it changed my life um but i resisted it because i was a bigger fan of shaw brothers style of movement bruce leaves was something new and i resisted it for a moment you see because it was new it was different but then i realized oh this guy is something else and that's when i became a fan and and a follower um like so many other people have reported i everything about bruce lee that i could get my hands on i availed myself of it so that was primarily magazines and books and, and what have you and then when the when the movies would come out um and essentially that led to so let's see 12 years later getting on a plane and going out to california to see inasano because everything that i had seen or read pointed to him as the source right 
for the continuation of JKD. Um, probably influenced by a magazine title that was pretty much that. Uh, the continuing, the continuing legacy of Jeet Kune Do might have been the the title of the article, and it featured Inasano. Um, so that was it. Eighty three. Um, saw him. He was not teaching JKD. He's actually teaching Filipino martial art. But my intention, see, so this is what I did. You may not have heard this before. I spent a week within Asano. Now, why him? Everything pointed to him as the legacy carrier. So whatever it is that he was doing was fine with me because he's Dan in Asano. My second week was spent with Francis Fong in Wing Chun because I was aware that Bruce Lee had trained in Wing Chun. So my intention was to go back home to Barbados and show my guys there what I had discovered through Wing Chun and with Dan and Asano. Um, I got infected <laughs> by that bug. And so immediately arranged to be able to go back out and spend another four days in that camp. And then fortunately for me, I worked in the airline industry. And so whenever I could, oh yeah, right. So I, my life, you know, my, my development, a huge percentage of my development in martial art is due to the time that I spent at Eastern Airlines. Cause I was able to travel a little bit more than the average Inasano student, right? And follow him um, around the country, really. You know? What, where did you train with Fong at? Was is he in like Arizona, Albuquerque, or something like that? No, no, you're, mi you're mixing you're mixing up Augustine Fong with Francis Fong. Okay, um, okay. Francis Fong has always been well, not always but for the longest time has been based out of Atlanta, out of Georgia, well, Georgia, I should say. It's the same place widespread panics from. I just. Oh yeah. Go full circle back there. There you go, man. <laughs> was, it, was it, was it Francis Fong too, that I think I, I was listening to, ooh, I think it was the little, I uh, a little books on Bruce Lee, but I could be conflating that because I listened to a few around the same time, but I believe that Francis Fong boxed amateur in Arkansas. I'm about to look this up. One that, of Bruce's original students did box amateur in Arkansas. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just say one of Bruce Lee's original students? Uh, yes, but it was before okay, he so, had traveled the train with Bruce Lee. Um, no, Francis Fong is not a Bruce Lee student. Okay, uh, which... So okay. You're, so which you're Wong, mixing which Wong, Fong am I complaining? Is there is that you're you're, mi you're mixing stuff up. I, I okay, don't okay. I don't think now when it comes to Bruce Lee students who were boxers, that's Daniel Lee. Um but now you're testing now you're testing my intimate knowledge of I will, you yeah, know, well, I will look Bruce Lee's factoids and what have you. 
Um, but it, it blew my mind. It was somebody that uh, I want to say that he had trained with him in Seattle after, like, he'd grown up and lived in Arkansas for a few years and boxed amateur and went on to train. Is that Joseph Cowles? Uh, possibly. Let's see here. Oh, it was okay, okay, okay. Uh, just a second. It was Leo Fong. Oh, oh, yeah. Is that the grandpa or is it a different Fong? No, 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 no. Leo Fong um, trained in the Oakland era. Okay, okay. Leo Fong trained in the Oakland era. Chinese American right. actor. You're, you're, you're right. I think he did. I think he was based in um, in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah I'm seeing. I'm seeing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Leo Leo Fong. Uh, Leo Fong. Oh, I mean. He's a he's a, a living martial art legend, yeah. you know. But, but um, is that the same? That's the same family of Fongs. No. Oh gosh, no. Okay. No. Okay. No. no. All right. Leo Fong, Francis Fong, Augustine Fong. I don't think those guys are related at all. Okay. Wow. I was thinking it was like a family of Fongs. <laughs> I never even. I just assumed. I'm like, oh yeah, believe no. they've all. No, man. That would that, that would be that would be you know that would be thinking that. Um, Daniel Lee's, Bruce Lee's. Yeah, Daniel Lee and Bruce Lee are related, you know. Yeah. Not, yeah. No, not even. Right. Yeah, or that, or that, um, you know, Taki Kimura and then the Kimura Jiu Jitsu guy. <laughs> they got to be cousins. Okay, you know. <laughs> or that the Kimura, the move was named after Taki Kimura. In there you this, go. This right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, man, you know, look, we could make a movie and we could put all that in it. That, just hey, to stir, just to stir the pot. You know what I mean? It, you know, it hasn't been done. I think we we're onto something, right? Yeah, <laughs> we could we could say that Taki Kimura, you know, had a secret jujitsu existence that nobody knew about. Yeah. Probably who introduced Paul Vunak to the Gracies. Is <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, it. Um, I got to ask you something about that. Um, how well known? Is it in the jujitsu world that JKD people were some of the earliest adopters? I mean, it's fairly well known for me. Like I, I I've been privy to that. I've known that that um, Inasano has been. I mean, I think he's a third degree in jujitsu. He was at one of the Hickson seminars back before the pandemic started. Um, but I mean, yeah. I've kind of well, always associated JKD yeah. and jujitsu, honestly. Yeah, but right. See, so that that's what I was wondering if if people know, you know, that Paulson and Vunak and and other people um, were training in the garage with Horian. Yeah, you know, and and Hickson back back in the day. The other thing I wanted to ask you because again, we're not of the same generation. What do people think? MMA is when people when people hear the the phrase or the term mixed martial art what do they think that is today because it seems to me that their understanding of what MMA is has changed over the years what, 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 how would you answer that uh I can tell you how it's changed for me since I've been involved and, and maybe shed some light on this. First off, I think that um, 
people viewed MMA very much so as like we were talking about some people view JKD that it's a, a collection of all the styles that work the best and none of the traditional styles okay none of that karate and taekwondo but I felt like that has been toppled and overturned within recent years with that people like Wonderboy Thompson and I think now in, in MMA is seen is more of okay MMA is its own art form it's its own thing you don't necessarily have to train all of these other styles to arrive at having an understanding of mixed martial arts. You can, and I think we're just now getting into that era where that's possible. But for me yeah. to, for me as a student who I got in right after the Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner fight, Ultimate Fighter one. And for me at that time, I went down a path of like, man, I really suck at boxing, but I do MMA, but I have horrible striking. I'm more jujitsu centric. So I'm going to start training boxing. So in 2013, I started a boxing club and started uh, training boxing. Okay. So, so, so how is that possible at an MMA school? If you're, if you're at an MMA school, don't they automatically train boxing? Uh, yes, you could say that, but I, at some point during that early part of my training, after I was kind of already out on my own, I felt like I was sparring with boxers and they were whipping the shit out of me. And I was like, you guys have better hands than me. I want what you have. Because yeah. I think I'll derive a better view of understanding. There's certain things I see in MMA that like having studied tie boxing and, and kickboxing and for years and had cornered fights, I'm like, why are these guys like leading out with a rear leg round kick, tie style round kick, out of range? And it's stuff like that that I'm like, yeah, because they are spending their time not training kicking. That they can, they, what you can just throw a kick from three days away and it's going to land, and you assume that. That's a, and I tell people, I'm like, go find me a pay per view where somebody doesn't throw a kick like that that doesn't land or just is not set up at all. And I'll buy you steak dinner, yeah. you know? So there's things like that, that I, I started going down the path of like, yeah, okay, I came in for MMA, but now I really would like to have better striking and I would like to have better takedowns and I'm going to study judo okay. and, and stuff yeah. like so, that. So that the, the reason why I asked is because the question that sometimes comes my way is, along the lines of i'm interested in becoming an mma fighter what style or what art should i study first and i was thinking well you just join an mma school and they'll teach you what you need to know so i was figuring that there would be a balanced emphasis between striking and grappling because that's what mma requires right but so that's why i asked you because you you'd be closer to to the mindset than i would be uh but apparently people think that no you you're supposed to study this art then study this second art and then maybe you go so a lot of times it's should i start with muay thai or start with bjj and then go into mma where I, I, I just thought that MMA was essentially a blend of, for lack of a different expression, a blend of Muay Thai and BJJ. 
and it, you know, it is. But what you run into is like, I guess, some of the key tenets of Muay Thai that would be beneficial in MMA for whatever reason, and we could do a whole podcast about this, I think, don't make it over into the training methodology, right? So, for Hmm. example, when I came up, we would have a couple of days a week, like at the first gym I trained at, where we would have the uh, MMA practice where it was mostly conditioning, sparring. We didn't really do any drilling. Like, we might at the end, but it was just like our basically our fight training. The other two days, we would do a nogi grappling class, and then we would do a kickboxing class, right? And the kickboxing class had a, a heavy, like the standard four counts that I know the um, World Thai Boxing Chai and his people teach, like a, a rear leg ground kick, hook cross rear leg ground kick, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what you ran into is like the, the, tie was, the tie was there more than anything, but it was not a favorable balance of boxing. It was more like kick, punch, punch, kick. Right. Or kick, kick, punch, punch, like if you're just kind of breaking down the combos. And my jab was total shit because of that type of training. Like, I, right. I, 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 you know, in terms of like what a, a boxer would develop with their jab, of having that understanding of, uh, or not just a boxer, really just anybody I think that, that really does a deep dive on striking. And I think, I, you know, I think we're entering an era where what you're saying with MMA will be what happens in my whole time i've trained i have waited on that to occur and it's it's i've just never you know i would say that there's some gyms like greg jackson um greg nelson i think some people have been able to also pull off what you're talking about but it's like they are the top tier coaches in the entire world um Here's what Zane says. Zane's listening to. to oh, is he? he said, "A good school will provide you all you need, but if I had a gun to my head, the answer is wrestling." <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but that you know, is, Zane uh, Isaacs is a guy I enjoy talking to. I, I enjoy reading his comments and Rodney's comments. Yeah. In the in the comments box of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, you know, because I, 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 I think with, with them, um, I think we have, well, you know, I haven't spoken to Rodney individually, but I think that Zane and I have discovered that we agree on more stuff than we disagree, which again is somewhat of the message of my podcast. Doesn't make any sense for JKD people to be out there trying you're i'm right you're wrong right when we have a common origin you know we have bruce lee in common we have jkd in common so what's the point it's more beneficial for us to try to come to an understanding of how this person approaches it and compare and contrast that with how you approach it and i tell them all i you know i tell people all the time the first time i saw ted wong to paraphrase what one of my good friends says from the neck down bruce lee first time i saw him it's like okay and 
here's the thing. When I told Seafood Ann that Ted Wong was coming to Miami, what do you think he says? He goes, you're going, right? I was like, yeah, of course. He goes, okay. Because I know that if, if Dan and Sano got word that Ted Wong came to Miami and I did not go to the seminar, he'd be very disappointed because it would mean that I'm not seeking on my own. You see, how, how, how does somebody of the caliber of Ted Wong come to your town and you don't go? That, 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 that would not fit in with the Inasano methodology or the Inasano mentality, not at all. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear too, because I mean, we live, uh, some of the other uh, things that we're talking about, styles or more things that are connected to MMA, I feel like for, and not everyone, but for politicized reasons, in my life and in my training experience, cross-training with other people has been discouraged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that does exist. Like, okay, well, you know, they're on a different team. And I, I, I get that to a certain extent, like, but also at the same time, it, I see it as, as being fundamentally, uh, can, can be fundamentally toxic, right? Of, yeah. of just encouraging something like, well, no, we don't really train with those, those people, right? Um, for whatever reason, you know, your coach had a falling out with them or whatever it is. I think there's a fair amount of that goes on that, that the cross training or cross pollination or is discouraged within certain circles that circle doesn't cross into that circle. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's people that, I mean, I'm sure like you would just have to be a bad person for me to not want to train with you. That's like the only. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you have to, you have to have, um, some, some kind of a, a, a measuring, a measuring stick, you know, that says for this reason, I won't associate with a particular person, but imagine it being, Oh, he's a Ted Wong guy. Nah, I, I won't associate with him. No, not 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 at all. Right now, unless unless of course you knew for a fact that he was a guy who kept was always dropping Ted Wong's name, but didn't have actually have a real association with Ted Wong. Right? If you knew that beyond the shadow of a doubt then maybe you could you could um, you could ignore ignore him but i would say that more often than not in martial art it's more beneficial to check out someone than it isn't no i um you know i agree and yeah. uh, there's there's somebody actually here in a couple weeks um I'm doing a private lesson with it. I, you know, like I've never trained with the person cut because of one of those situations. I was, uh, before my time even involved, this guy had trained with my coach. Right. And they had a huge falling out. So when I was getting raised up, you know, we didn't fucking talk to that guy. Yeah. And, um, and that yeah. guy is an amazing martial artist. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, he's over, it's over here. He's not close to my school. He's not really close, close to anybody's school. Right. You know, it, and it's there's nothing to be. It's just it gets kind of political sometimes. Yeah, that not- that whole that whole I, you know, if anybody was to ask me, the most distressing aspect of all my time in martial art 
is that falling out thing, right? Yeah. You know, um, a, a student falling out with an instructor, right? Um, two business partners falling out with each other and what have you. A lot, a lot of times to me that that's just indicative of uh, an inability to be truthful with each other, to be honest with each other, right? I have two colleagues. I, I joke with them all the time, so I can say this um, in public, but um, the guys who run New Breed Martial Arts in New York, Alex Chan and Luigi Cuellar, I admire them um, to the ends of the earth because those guys do, are, do not have the same personality, but they have been able to run an extremely successful establishment for decades. You know, so they have, they have, a, a, they have a secret sauce, right, that, uh, that is not that, um, I don't think it's that common in, in the martial art world. So I'm, I'm really, I, I can say that I'm really proud of them because I'm a little bit senior to them or what have you. But, uh, and, and they are of that generation that I envy, the generation that never thought twice about being a professional martial arts instructor. My generation and the generation before me, it was mostly a hobby thing. Martial art was a hobby. Martial art was not a profession. And so when, when, for whatever reason, it ends up being your profession, a lot of people suffered because they either did not know how to professionalize and or refused to learn about professionalizing refuse to learn what it takes to go from being a hobbyist to being a, a, a professional, you see? And a, a lot of people in, in um, a lot of people in the JKD world suffered from that. It's not altogether surprising because one thing that we have to remember is that JKD in Bruce Lee's lifetime was a backyard thing. For, for you know for 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 most intents and purposes jkd was a backyard thing jkd was not supposed to be a worldwide thing right we know that there was the idea about kato's kung fu schools as a franchise and whatever and and that was frowned upon um the the whole idea of having a school and running a school and and all of that was not necessarily Bruce Lee's main approach to it. And so to this day, there are people who will say, well, if you're distressed over all the nonsense um, that goes on in JKD, maybe you just change your approach. You just have a few friends that you train with in your backyard, in your garage or, or what have you. And, you stay off Facebook and you have a better, you have a better life and they're not wrong. Right. They're not wrong. That is that, that pr approach 
has a lot of appeal to a certain degree without without a doubt without a doubt has a lot a lot of appeal right so i say if if anybody if anybody makes their living outside of jeet kundo and makes a good enough living to have that to have you know where um you can pay for your jeet kundo practice out of your 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 mainstream job more power to you do it that way because if if your own if you're if you make your living teaching martial arts um it's you're 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 gonna have to deal along the way you're gonna have to deal with some some issues of integrity perhaps even issues of morality and people are gonna have to um you know i i got a question sent to me uh, the other day and it says um a guy at my job says that he's a black belt in muay thai is he full of it i was like well he could be or he could not be and then i explained i said he could be full of it he could not be full of it because maybe he trained at a place that gave in to the pressure of being able to offer something that i have I'm always told the public expects when the public signs up for martial arts, and that is a belt system. I'm always told that's what the public expects. So he might be training at a place that has given in to that um, th that requirement, and so they have a belt system for their Muay Thai. So in that case, he himself is not full of it, because he's just following what the people at the school did but he could be full of it right because he should know better right yeah. he should know better and he he should be able to say and again who am i to talk about people i don't even know anything about right he should be able to say well traditionally in muay thai there was no such thing as belt systems. However, in the more modern eras, places like my gym, like my school, have kind of adopted it. But the truth is, there really is no such thing as a black belt in, in Muay Thai, right? Um, we've had to deal, well, not had to deal, but that same issue comes up in the JKD world. There are people who, in running their schools, have done a thing where they have adopted a kind of a belt system. Okay, right. I have, a, I have a, a colleague who told me probably 15 years ago that um, he'll, he'll keep an eye out. And when I start using belts at my school, he'll remind me that he told me that I ultimately would uh, succumb to the pressure, right? I never did. I never did. Um, there were just certain things in running a martial arts school that um, that I was unwilling to do. Call it stubborn or or what have you. Um, and some people would say, "Well, but you realize that if you do it, you can make more money, right?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I realize that I can make more money doing it, but um, I don't know that I would sleep as comfortably 
at night if I did do it. So I'll be happy with making less money, but be able to sleep contentedly, you know, be able to sleep comfortably. So, but, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad for you, you know, um, cause running a school is not an easy thing. Uh, and a lot of people are not aware of that. They think that you get a building, you put up a sign and boom, people just start rolling in. You know, and they, they, they don't know about payroll taxes and stuff like that, <laughs> apparently. Like, pay, pay us to pay them. And right. like yeah. our, this happened since the pandemic, too, and maybe you're experiencing some of this, but, like, our credit card processing costs shot up. Of course. And I was just like, you mean to tell me we're paying this much to accept payments? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it like went up upwards to 4%, uh, depending on the transaction and the type of card the, that the member was using. And I just like, it's those kinds of headaches, man. That'll mess with your sleep too. But, right. but taxes, <laughs> hey, you guys have no income tax in Florida, huh? Is that true? Um, no. Personal income tax, no. Oh, yeah. 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 Wow. The, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, that's not why I chose to move here, but, um, but you know, that's, that helps every little bit helps. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Man, it's, um, yeah. Owning a school, a lot of people, when I started, you know, open, open my first location, I, I kind of split rent the karate school for almost two years mm -hmm. and then went out and opened my own, uh, spot. But literally everybody that knew me outside of martial arts was like, uh, what are you doing? Like, right. You need to go be a radiologist or something like that, you know, yep. uh, where you yep. can actually pay the bills. And, um, you know, I was going to college as a whole. I ended up getting my master's degree while running my gym uh, yep. and now teach college 20, 25 hours a week, give or take. Mm -hmm. And... Um, which was another thing people told me that you couldn't, what are you going to do with the history degree, Brian? Like, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. man, I think this, I think that, uh, you hit it on the head that if, cause I feel the same way. I mean, I was talking to one of my friends this morning about it. It's like, man, when I was doing stuff in martial arts is, is in a business sense, it did not work for me. It was because somebody that was further along than me, better than me, had more students than me, they had the business answers. And I'm like, Brian, you should do it this way. And I was asking many times, right? Like, what do I do here? And I would try and do things that they might not be an answer that I was like, man, I just don't feel like I could do that. And I would still try and it wouldn't work. Right. And it was really when I started kind of thinking for myself in a way of just being like, okay, look, somebody out there has an answer for this and it doesn't have to be this. Like I, I remember going to a trade show in Vegas for five weeks, more short super show century puts it on. Yeah. And there's this one speaker who he kind of said everything, the opposite of what I had been hearing at some of these other things. I've been gone to six different times of that. Uh, trade show mm -hmm. and he was like yeah forget the numbers forget yeah if you just do a good job with your service you'll have more students and i was like 
man, the numbers stress me out, bro. Like, uh, that really resonates with me. But everybody to that point, my mentors, you you must, you know, just sell sheet over here and you did, yeah. did this. And if you do this, you, you upgrade, charge people more. This is how you make. Yeah. Man, when I was focused on making money, it wasn't working. Right. Like when I finally stopped focusing on things that, that were going to make, you know, make me money that I didn't believe in. That's when we became successful as a business, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I, when, when I got involved with the martial art business organizations, I would say that my whole time with them is where I put into practice the absorb what is useful, reject what is useless add what is specifically your own i would say that it was through and because of those guys where i applied those tenets of jeet Kune Do, uh more more often than not um you know when they taught you how to answer the phone right um that was beneficial because my, I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a, a phone script, you know. So when I came across that, that was definitely something that I saw as being useful, right? The, the, the intake procedure, you know, setting up the initial consultation, um, doing some kind of an introductory program. And, and even I was, I was talking with, with a, an old friend of mine this morning about that. Um, a paid introductory program versus a free introductory program yeah it's... right that 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 get get into that so i i didn't have um i didn't have any problems with that and one huge benefit brian for me of spending time with those martial art business organizations was and you know i tend not to use comparative or superlative terms but Jeet Kune Do was superior to all the stuff that those guys taught. But what I found amazing is that they could make such great livings with this little bit of martial art knowledge compared to the amount of martial art knowledge there is in Jeet Kune Do. But no one was necessarily making, I mean, in the early days, was necessarily making the same kind of living that those guys were. So I knew that they were on to something. It was just being able to tap into what they were on, but do the necessary modifications for JKD where and when possible, as opposed to adopting on a wholesale level what they were teaching. Because my analysis, uh, showed me that and i don't know what it's like nowadays yeah I'm, I, it must have changed since ufc and mma but in the old days essentially what they were teaching was how to run a kid's taekwondo school that was essentially it okay that was not the descriptor that could apply to my school it wasn't it's a, and that's a dis that and so many times that same relationship just became a disconnect for me, mm -hmm. you know, of of it being like okay, I have an idea, but it's not quite working, and this person saying do this, and 
but but they don't have the same business as me. Like they don't even do the same arts. Or right. I saw many times people be in an MMA gym that would run a kids program that was it was ATA. I mean they they call it something else or call it an MMA program, but it's like fundamentally, yeah, the upgrades and the the whole structure of the black belt team and all this was uh, yeah, it's like the ATA model really. Right. Well, I mean, and again. Right. Again, if if you have an upgrade model, but you have an upgrade model because there, 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 literally, there are many people that join your school that want more. They legitimately want more. Then offer it. You see, and. Charge more for it because these people have come to you and said, I want more. If somebody says they want to pay you for something, you're not pulling the wool over their eyes. You're not tricking them. You're not being the slick business person. You're not being the, um, what's the, 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 the proverbial uh, used car salesman or what have you. People have come to you and said, I love what I'm getting from you. I want more. So you should have, uh, you know, a, 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 a martial arts school owner should have some kind of an upgrade program. For sure. Now, in JKD, that has to be completely invented because JKD doesn't think in terms of upgrade program or what have you. So we would have, we would have had to learn that from that ATA model. Now, here's where my objections occur. I am not putting anything in my school called the Black Belt Club. I'm not doing it. That is a JKD violation. Now, but can I absorb what is useful behind the idea? Like I just said to you, if people come to you and they say, I want more have an upgrade program, but have some kind of name for it that stays within JKD terminology, JKD vernacular, you know, JKD methodology or what have you. I personally would not call it Black Belt Club. Now, that doesn't mean that anybody who did was wrong. If it worked for them, it, it worked, worked for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's as simple as that. If it worked for them, it worked for them. I wouldn't do it. But that doesn't make me any more righteous than anybody else or, 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 or something. It's, again, it goes back to, you know, you know we, we talked we talk many times about the celebrity factor in Jeet Kune Do. But you know what there also is? There's the personal factor. Whether it's personal integrity, you know, um, um, personal edification, right, right. There's so many things that that go into to this JKD factor, right? You know, I was I was when 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 we mentioned Zane earlier on, you know, I'm just thinking of the pictures of him that I have uh, or of his school, you know, where everybody is in board shorts and barefooted, right? Um, the only time we took our shoes off in my class in my school was for Muay Thai, because everybody wore uh, the Gangkang Muay. And, uh, and we train barefooted, but 
you know, so somebody hears me say that. And this was an interesting thing that I tried to talk about in last week's podcast. So somebody now who doesn't know me, hears me mention Zayn Isaac's name, hears me say that his people wear board shorts and they're barefooted and they go off. Oh, Dwight Woods was on Brian's podcast, bad mouth in Zayn Isaac's. You see now somebody who does know me will know that my commentary about Zayn is not at all bad mouthed. Somebody who really know, and I mean, you don't even have to really know me. I think that you just have to watch me talking with him. And if you can't tell that this is a guy that I hold in the highest regard, then you're an idiot, right? But people out there, for whatever reason, they always want to be able to point the finger and go, he said this and, and that and that's it. It's like, give it a rest, give it a break, right? So a lot of times there is that um, personality factor that that goes that goes into things and with my with my podcast i i just try to to i guess I, I i guess you could say one of the things i try to do is to open people's minds you know like i'm very proud that i've heard people say wow he's a in a sano guy but he talks to the Ted Wong guys on his show. Richard Torres is probably, he probably has the record for the amount of appearances on my show. And everybody knows that Richard and I do not agree on everything, right? But so, but why have him on the show? Because he's dedicated his life to Jeet Kune Do. So he's got to have something going for him in that regard. So why is that somebody that I would ignore or avoid? No. No, I don't have to. I, I don't have to agree with you on anything, but that doesn't mean that I can't respect you and, you know, respect you and your point of view. Yeah, it is. That is an interesting point. It seems like a lot of people, and I don't know why, but okay. Well, do I? You know, we don't agree on this, so you're going to be my enemy now. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. that's really kind of like people. To, there are some people like that. And that really, if you think about it, it, is a weird way to be. You know, like, like for example, if Zane's still listening, like, I love training, trapping. That's one of my favorite things. I've got two Wing Chun dummies in, in my gym. Mm -hmm. I enjoy training it. It's fun. Zane, he doesn't really uh, believe in the efficacy of training that. Right. And I still fucking like that guy. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, what if yeah. I was like, dude, you know, you just don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. and uh we're done right yeah see so instead my approach is this okay so all these guys who are not big fans of trapping what what's their problem with it and what and when you when you research that and you analyze their problem is the set patterns or one of their problems is the set patterns or all of the convoluted stuff right so if you think about it, when you look at the average JKD person who has not thought long and hard about trapping, and you watch how they do it, they do stuff where in order to pull off the trap, the hit that they perform is not realistic.
they're not trying to hit you see so they're not informing themselves through what the trapping detractors are saying but when somebody has a different point of view from yours you got to ask yourself whoa, 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 whoa. is there anything valid to what they're saying so when people when people are like you will never be able to pull off the double pox or whatever when you listen to what they're saying and the problems that they have with it and then you honestly look at the demonstrations of trapping that you can find on the internet they have a valid point because the people that are doing those demonstrations they're not trying to hit they're trying to trap you see they don't even do an explanation of how the trapping can come about because we know that the trapping is incidental if not accidental you see you see but when you but when you have when you have a a, a, a four or five motion sequence for trapping nobody's gonna be set not anybody who's trying to hit you is never gonna be standing there with their arms right cooperating with this four or five sequence thing that you're doing so those of us who love trapping those of us who teach trapping we have to be informed right and we have to be willing to accept that the people who say it doesn't work we have to be we have to be willing to listen to what it is that they're saying and then find out how did they come to that conclusion and invariably for in my experience it has been their complaint is that there's a whole lot of passive um blocking and what have you going on when we do these trapping demonstrations it's not active it's not it's not something that's pressure tested or what have you so i say if you believe in trapping don't ignore what the anti-trapping people are saying try to understand their point and be honest if they have a valid point then you got a decision to make you see and but it goes back to a very a very an age-old guideline the simple stuff is what works you see so four five six motions in a trapping sequence we all know that ain't gonna work so we have to do what we have to chip away at the un at the unessentials and find out what aspect of trapping is the most practical now you train that you see what, what's what's practical for you might not be practical for everyone or, or in every situation like at, right after I had that conversation with, with Zane, I went to a, a Superfoot, Bill Wallace Camp in Memphis. Uh -huh. I, t I tested at the event for, for my first degree. Uh, and there were 22 people, because he hadn't tested anybody in like eight, like ever since the pandemic. Right. But, I like, you know, you're familiar a little bit with, I'm sure, his style, uh, mm -hmm. Bill's. And he expects all of the people to kind of spar his way. So right. I wasn't really throwing any leg kicks or anything like that. I was throwing Bill's combos, mm -hmm. but in a, the, in a spar with somebody, I threw my back fist up, which is illegal in boxing, and the person went like that to block it. 
And I immediately was like, if he does that again, I'm going to trap him and straight blast. And I, I'd never done this, but I've heard Anasano a dozen times be like, yeah, back in the day, people used to block, you know, forearm block or high block, used to would block uh, certain strikes this way. Right. You see it in the patterns of the, the katas. But that dude bought my back fist again in that way, and I jammed his elbow and just four straight punches down the middle. Mm-hmm. And it it pushed him off the mat. Mm-hmm. And I've seen like you know like you're, the point you're making with this with with actually hitting. I would say Paul Dunak is amazing at that. Right. It just like he will just over like and I listen to some of his instructors that I've uh, one guy in particular I've trained with Jujitsu White Belt's also been on the podcast. He's like, oh yeah. Yeah, he's going to trap your ass, and then he's going to straight blast you so fast, and then it's going to be, you know what, then it's going to be knees, elbows, and headbutts right after that, right? As soon yeah. as you can't run away anymore. like, And it's like the way he was breaking it down. He's like, this happened to me 100 times by that guy. Right. And he's like, if I could have stopped it, I would have. And this dude, we call him Big John, can whip my ass on the ground. Like, I'm just like, damn, Big John. Like, he's 50 years old, but... He's a tank, man. He was training with Ipmic fans that day too. Mm-hmm. But his stories of of coming up training with Vunak and 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 Dan Sano as well are are awesome. I mean, like I had him on the podcast just to talk about that stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, it's like that's my example of like I've trained trapping for a long time, but really, just honestly, when I started sparring people that were fighting kind of at that range where it's like they were a little a little further away than I would want to you know, leg kick them at anyway. Mm-hmm. But this boom, getting them to block that back, it was interesting. It turned, a, it kind of turned a wheel, uh, turned a page in my mind a little bit on it. So. Yeah, well, you, what, what you discovered is the historical context in, in which um, trapping came about because Bruce Lee would throw that lead hand and draw the traditional block and then take advantage of that by removing the barrier and hidden again with that lead hand. The simple stuff, which I'm sure in training with Bill Wallace, he's probably remarked about the simple stuff and how the simple stuff is that which works. You know, nobody nobody really gets away with a, a whole complex series of movements or whatever. Th- that stuff is there um, strung together in combination for that which might be a simple application you see so it's like it's like I, maybe people got people got bored or something at some point so that in instead of training five separate things they're like let's put a sequence together where all five things happen right which yeah, people do that kind of thing i mean yeah. it's you see, right? So that's how you end up with a fixed pattern that Bruce Lee railed against. Zane says, you'll find me over here highly offended. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, because my trapping <laughs> sequence worked and Zane said it wouldn't, that's why we're not friends anymore. All right? <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. Right? But, um, yeah, you know, look, I, I, you know what? I challenge Zane Isaacs to spell trapping. I guarantee you, you you know, he doesn't know if it has two P's in it or one, right? So, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, man, this is but man, I was uh, I was really looking forward to sitting down and talking with you for all all of the reasons that we talked about today. I mean, <laughs> uh, you're you're infinitely diplomatic in your comment section. You know, I've I've liked what of your podcast I've seen. I've only been following you a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think? Just for my listeners and and myself, like what's some good uh, episodes that you've done in the past that people you should start with? Some of your favorites? Oh, um, you know, I think that um, when I look at the recordings of the early stuff, um, I'm not impressed. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I was, I was getting my feet wet. Right. So I look at them and I go, Oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, that I did this and whatever I had, I had one senior call me after, um, I think it was the first time I, I interviewed, uh, Chris Kent and, um, and he calls me and he goes, Dwight, what the hell? I go, what? He goes, Chris would say something and instead of you sticking with that topic and going deeper, you would jump to like your next question, you know? So that's why I think it was number 35. If you look, if you look in the archives, uh, Chris Kent is 35A and 35B, <laughs> right? Cause I, I got back on the phone with him and I was like, can we do this again? Right. I think I can do a better job the second time around, but, um, I mean, definitely, definitely my seniors, my uh, um, immediate seniors. So Chris Kent, uh, Paul Vunak, I think Paul is prob- Paul's uh, dialogue is probably one of the most viewed, but also um, Tommy Carruthers. His, his are, are, are very, very, very highly viewed. Uh, Burton Richardson. Um, I was I was very proud of um, what I call the Minnesota hat trick because I got um, Rick Fay, Greg Nelson, and um, Eric Paulson like three weekends in a row, three Fridays in a row, right? Ooh. I got um, I got I got the three of them, right? And uh, Rick Fay is so Rick Fay has always been a person of of great influence. Um, you know, people from, from my generation, some of us look up to Rick Faye because here's a guy who never lived in LA, but achieved incredibly high levels of, uh, 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 ability, you know? So he proves that you don't have to be in LA only, right. In order to, to, to get good. So he's an inspiration for what I call the Inasano long distance students, right? Rick, Rick is really somebody who, um, you know, and I think he's been bringing, he's been bringing Inasano, you know, pre COVID. I think he had been bringing Inasano to Minnesota for like 40 years or, or something. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, but what I also enjoy doing is, talking to somebody who might not be as well known. So I drop all those names and you recognize all those names, right? But there are other people that I, that I would talk to who are incredible martial, you know, like Larry, Larry Lindenman from, from Chicago. 
a lot of people outside of law enforcement might not be aware of, of who he is, right? But that's a guy. So, I, you know, those names that I mentioned come to mind, but I'm not saying at all that those are, are my favorites or, or what have you. I enjoy every podcast that I do. Uh, Salem Ashley was just on. He'll be back for a part two um, in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, when I talk to, I, I love talking to Nick Cavallino. Nick Cavallino is my senior in Detroit. But the way that the, the, the degree of, of the way Nick expresses himself, he's quite articulate, you know, for a, a, a young meathead from Michigan, right? <laughs> That's a term of affection. Uh, and um, I really enjoy talking, talking with him when when it's somebody that i know well then i feel like the viewers are seeing two old jkd buddies two old jkd colleagues catch up with each other when it's somebody that i do not know well now they're they're getting to know the audience is getting to know that person at the same time that i'm getting to know that person and you know, I, I kind of consider that to be the job of the podcast, right, is to um, introduce people in some in some regards, introduce people to a JKD colleague of mine. And the thing about it is this, you don't have, I, I don't consider a JKD colleague to be somebody who is a, in a Sano lineage, not that that's not just it, right? It's anybody who has, you know, it's like religion, right? Everybody, everybody has Abraham in common. We all got Bruce Lee in common. That's a good point. <laughs> that is a great point, man. Like right. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, right? they all have the same grandpappy. Like Exactly. Right? So so in the same way that it's ridiculous for them to fight amongst each other as to who got it right and who got it wrong, I take a lesson from that um never-ending conflict to a, you know, to a certain extent. I take a lesson from that. So I am not interested in JKD conflict. I'm I'm interested in you know there's there's an outfit called the JKD Brotherhood. Um, I'm I'm more interested in that idea than anything else. That well, man, that's such a refreshing. Because I mean, I wanted to talk to you about all this stuff, but it's it's really just to try and understand what's going on. You know, <laughs> like, like, but, but I, I don't know I don't know if I'm the guy <laughs> to tell you what's going on. Well. <laughs> no, but you, you told me how you think about it, and that provides a lot of context. It, you know, because yeah. the way people think about things is it's interesting. That's how that's how I expand my perspective. That's what I like about podcasting is get, yeah. getting to sit down with somebody like you that I've never even been to Miami. I'm going to um, Pensacola next week, but I've uh, been to Orlando several times, but never been to Miami. Yeah, uh, Maybe would have never had the chance to – to talk well, with you just, just remember just remember that pensacola is more alabama than florida I, we're going to gulf shores before we go to pensacola <laughs> a friend of ours lives in pensacola so we actually we are going to be alabama. Right? <laughs> and then oh, you know or, orlando that that's um you know that's that's uh that's a Disney whole other city yeah yeah that's a whole other story right there all right yeah. all right
Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, let's wrap it up. But will you? Where can we find your podcast and everything? We've been talking for three hours. I really appreciate you sitting down with me, Dwight. Um. So, so we stream live like you do on Facebook and the YouTube on Wednesdays at six p.m., which I, I need to tell people might be changing because I might be starting a Wednesday night gig, um, teaching a new program. So I might, ha I don't know, I I'll still go live, but it might be at 5 p.m. on Wednesdays. Wednesdays, I do what's called the I Love Jeet Kune broadcast, which is kind of me picking a Jeet Kune topic or an idea about Jeet Kune that I have, and I talk to the camera. So of course, that one's not as popular as the Friday podcast, which is the Jeet Kune Dialogues. And I chose that name specifically, right, because that's what I wanted people to understand. So if, if you notice how I speak, I tend to not refer to them as interviews. It's a dialogue. It's two people, you know, talking back and forth as opposed to I'm the one with the questions and, and this. I, I mean, I just watched, um, I just watched two people. Um, I, I, I think they, they were having a, a new show. And so in order to announce their new show, they went on Joe Rogan's show, right? So if you, if anybody has ever watched Joe Rogan, you hear him say all the time, and I kind of got the idea from him. He says all the time that he's not doing an interview. People are having a conversation and the cameras are on. And I like that idea as opposed to, oh, well, uh, so tell me, uh, when did this and the, 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 and then, okay, then you get the answer. And then it's another question. Oh, so this and this and this, and this right? So it's a dialogue. It, but So I tend to, to refrain from using the word, the word interview. So that's Wednesdays at 6 p.m. for right now and Fridays at 6 p.m. We stream live on Facebook and, uh, and the YouTube. And then um, as soon as I get the time, I will, I will uh, convert it from the live stream and put up what I call the final edit video um I, I at the end of almost every program I, I tell people you know you can follow me on twitter at uh, dwight woods on facebook at dwight d woods and on instagram at dwight d woods as well um jkdrebel.com is the website um and that's about it jkdrebel at gmail is the is the email address but you know if you don't have anything intelligent to say don't 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 email me because <laughs> we sliding in those in yeah those DMs. I, I will prob i will probably not uh respond um unless i gave you permission so putting my email out there is not the same as giving uh, uh permission <laughs> well dwight thanks uh thanks again man I, I was looking forward to talking with you and it's been a great conversation well, so, I, I appreciate the invitation brian yes well have a great day man all right man you take all care right. we'll see you soon all righty